What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and today we're jumping into the future, or maybe the past. We're going to be hopping around a bit, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be doing it alone. I'm being joined by Brian, and, uh, well, first off, before we do anything, how about you introduce yourself and uh, give your own podcast a bit of a plug? Thanks, Scott. Uh, Listen, it's great to be here today. I really appreciate the chance to chat some Terminator for you. but yeah, I'm a big fan of the franchise, and typically when I'm not talking about Terminator, uh, I am doing a show with my friend Chris Munn about the Ghost Rider, a Marvel Comics superhero Ghost Rider. Uh, we've been doing it for a couple of years. We basically review uh, comics, movies, TV, anything that has to do with the character. It's sort of uh, very specific on the character, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting because the character is, has been around for so many years. We have fans who... Started reading the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. So we have fans of all different eras, so we try to uh, make everybody a little happy, which is, which is very to cool. to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, he's yeah. Getting, and it, and it feels a bit like um, yeah, the Ghost Rider, it, it, all three sort of I'm aware of, uh, are going to get some time, going to get some like, some panel time in the future. They sort of seem to be bringing them together. There's uh, mm-hmm. you know, Jason Aaron's Avengers has sort of obviously got uh, Robert Reyes in, and then you've got... Um, Johnny Blaze has come back, so it's all. It seems like yes, yeah, getting ready for the end of the year. Some big uh, Ghost Rider action, by the sound of it. Yeah, it's an exciting time for fans, especially because I mean, when we first started the show, we were mainly doing classic reviews. We did a little bit of, uh, I think it was Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer Supreme, because there was a mm. Ghost Rider element to that series. But we're very fortunate because there's a lot of new stuff that's come down the pipeline. Danny Ketch is coming back, which a lot of our fans are very excited about. And in a way, Scott, is is my two loves between Ghost Rider and Terminator are coming together <laughs> this year with Terminator Dark Fate. Gabriel Luna, who played yes. Robbie Reyes so well yes. in the Wings of S.H.I.E.L.D. program, is now going to be uh, the primary antagonist in Dark Fate. So it's my two loves are kind of mashing together, which is really great. It's going to be interesting. Oh, yeah, I'm... Uh... We'll, we'll get to the trailer and everything for Dark Fate. We'll have a chat about that at some point. But uh, but let's say, as you said, we're talking about Terminator. And uh, this is going to be over two two podcasts. So this is the first part of the retrospective. We're going to be talking about uh, 1984's uh, The Terminator, 1991's uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and 2003's Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. Um, I will say up front, not going to hide too many. We are going to be covering spoilers, but uh, varying quality, I would say, uh, out of these three films, mm-hmm. um, but Brian, up front, so you, you you're a big fan of the Terminator franchise. So, where did you first come across the Terminator? Well, at least here in the states, there was a, a real big um, push towards the uh, Kenner action figures in the early 1990s. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not sure how it was in other parts of the globe, but, uh, it, you know, I, I got into the action figures at a young age before I got into the movies, and it was, uh, it's kind of just very appealing to a kid that was my age at the time, seeing kind of an action scenario with all these robotic components, it was just very exciting, and I probably got a whole bunch of the figurines way before I even got into the movies, and then the first one I saw was actually not even Terminator 1, 
It was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It was the first one mm-hmm. I ever saw. So in a way, I was seeing that movie, and my brain was trying to fill in the gaps of what had happened beforehand, as if that was the first movie of everything. Yes. You know, In a way, for a while, I hadn't really seen the first one, uh, which is, sounds so crazy, but uh, Judgment Day did such a great job of explaining the mythology and the lore. That was my first introduction to that whole series, and since then, I've just I've just pretty much been a fan, you know. Yeah, those those Ken those toys is uh, early early nineties and inappropriate kids toys like action figures. They were mm-hmm. great. Like I say there was the Terminator series, there was the Alien series. I've, yep. I've got some of the Aliens and the Predators. There was RoboCop, Rambo. Brilliant. I, I love the fact that basically all these R rated movies got, got like basically marketed to kids. Like you can't see the films, but. You can have the toys. You can get Fantastic. the toys. And I, I specifically have a memory, Scott, where I got one of the vehicles. I probably still have it, too. Uh, <laughs> it's like one of the mobile assault vehicles. And I was telling everybody around, I'm like, this is the car from the movie, which <laughs> I hadn't seen the movie then. And everyone looked at me like I was crazy. They said, what? Car? What? That's not in the movie. I'm like, yes, it is. See the movie. It's in there. I didn't know. I hadn't seen the movie yet, so... Uh, but I still love those guys, it, which is funny because half of them are just like repaints from other RoboCop toy lines. And it, yeah. it's, it's just so funny, but you know uh, you can't go wrong with those things. They all had special features too. They would uh, the skin would pop off, and you yes, make that's your what own. I heard. Yeah, oh, yeah. so they were, funny, they, were yeah. they were great. They were absolutely fantastic. But I'm, I'm similar to you, really. I think it's that thing of um, uh, I, I recently did another review actually of, of the Terminator, uh, another podcast, and it was it's the story of. Um, Similar stuff. It was around the early nineties. I knew Terminator Two was coming out. Yep. There was a lot of buzz for it, a lot of hype. Even as a kid, I'm sort of like you know, um, early teens, and uh, everyone was talking about it. You know, Arnie was obviously top of his game. You know, 1991, yeah. and um, my best friend's brother um, was like, "Well, if you're gonna see the sequel, you need to see the first one." <laughs> and so he sort of pulled out the VHS, and we sat down. And I watched it, and. Um, it is as a sort of like you know 12 13 year old you watch it and it's a kick-ass action sci-fi film yep but there are moments even as a 12 year old you're like yeah i haven't got a clue what's uh <laughs> what's going on in this bit i don't understand it so uh i i, I appreciate it more going back course, as, as yeah. an adult and stuff right um but we will i mean we'll, we'll start going through the films i mean if we do go back to uh 90 well, and The Terminator, um, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, uh, Mike Bean, directed by James Cameron, written by James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd. Um, mm. So, yeah, so th- this is sort of where it all starts, really. And there's a lot of controversy around this, actually. So, you know, I sort of... Um, there's a... Uh, I can't remember the name. It's got, it's got my head now. But there's a credit at the end with thanks to... And obviously, when James Cameron wrote this and it was produced and created, it got it got sort of centered on Hollywood and stuff. Yeah. Someone actually claimed that this is this was basically stealing the story they'd done previously. Yeah. Harlan, uh, for... Harlan Ellison, right? Harlan Ellison, yeah. there it is. I knew it was, uh, yeah, Harlan Ellison, and that was for um, the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. So you know, even though it's, it's it's a pretty original film, but even so, it still had its controversies even in '84. Sure. Um, but. Uh, What's your initial thoughts on about this film, about the Terminator? Before we sort of get into the plot, what was your sort of first take of it? My first, th- so because I had seen it uh, a little bit after the Terminator Two film, uh, I had obviously had a different perspective. I sort of knew where the story was going. Um, I knew uh, who was going to make it out of the movie, who wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily, and um, it was definitely interesting focusing on the Sarah Connor character 
going from seeing how she is in the second one, where she's uh, you know a badass who knows the future, and every, even though everybody else doesn't, she is aware of what's coming, and so she her body was transformed, her mind is is in a different mm. state, and now you go back to the first one. And you're introduced to this uh, sweet, innocent 19-year-old almost, and, and she doesn't have a care in the world, sort of. Yes, her, she got a dead-end job, but it's going to get a whole lot, heck of a lot worse yeah. for her. Um, but overall, I mean, the movie is really, it's a really awesome film. And in general, it's, it's a film that I think you could almost watch the first one. And if you don't have any interest in seeing the sequels whatsoever, mm. you could be one and done. Because there are fans who say... There should never have been a Terminator two or three or four or whatever. It's just it should just ended right there. It's a perfect story, one and done. Mm. So, what do you think about that? No, I think you you sort of hit the nail on the head actually, really. In that that it's it can be seen as a, as a single entity. Like you mm-hmm. could just take it as a sort of as a one off sci fi film. And really, in the eighties, that was the thing, wasn't it? That the sequels weren't the thing they are today. Right. Um, and the thing I'll, I'll, we will run through the plot in a minute, but there's always. It always felt like that was supposed to be the intention, um, because throughout the film, obviously they make make a big thing of Cyberdyne and, and you know Cyberdyne being responsible for Skynet. Yeah. And the deleted scene at the end mm-hmm. of the film that when when Sarah is being taken to the ambulance and it pans up and you see that actually the factory that the the you know the Terminator was destroyed in is Cyberdyne. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> oh, it's amazing, and that's it. And I, I, I for years it wasn't until like, obviously it came out on DVD, oh, in a Blu-ray. Sorry, I saw that. I saw it got on the Blu-ray, and I was like, yep. what? Just thought, saw the deleted scenes, and it blew my mind. I was like, so it, it, you know, from a Cameron's point of view, it almost feels like it was supposed to be uh, a closed loop. I mean, this you know, it's about fate. But, you know, mm-hmm. there is no fate what you make, and I think it's supposed to like rail against that really. But yeah, yeah, fate yeah, versus no, free will. That's the that's the big thing with yeah. the whole series is fate versus free will. You know, so it's like it's it's one of those things. This series is so interesting, Scott. Is that there's so much to it, especially in the second one. Everything that happens in the second one is not Deus Ex Machina. It's like mm. you know, if people are making the decisions, and that's that's the catalyst for moving the, the films forward in general, specifically. But they mentioned that in one of the commentaries a while back. But it is so true. It's just like you know, if they didn't do X, Y, and Z. They wouldn't have gotten there. It's not just because they had just stayed where they were. They would have gotten killed, kind of thing. So it's yeah. just, it's really amazing, you know. It is. It's, it, yeah. No, we'll get we'll dig into that in a minute. And so to give just give a, a, a brief overview of the plot, then really for the first film, uh, as you say, nineteen year old Sarah Connor uh, working in a in a, a diner. Uh, her world is thrown into complete disarray when two uh, beings from the future arrive in nineteen eighty four Los Angeles. One mm-hmm. is Kyle Reese, a resistance fighter from the human side of a war raging in 2029. The other is a cybernetic organism, a T-800-101 uh, model, um, that has come back, been sent back by the robotic overlord, Skynet, to kill Sarah Connor in order to prevent her giving birth to the saviour of the human resistance, John Connor. Mm-hmm. That's it, really. And it, it, The thing I'll say about this film, and the thing I like about... It's something I think that the films of the seventies and eighties did very, very well. Is they knew that they had very, you know, it wasn't like now you could do a sprawling three-hour film and you're probably going to cut that over another film or something like. Like no, no, you've got ninety to a hundred minutes, mm-hmm. and you better tell your story. Right. Um, so this story sort of literally, it's sort of like the first ten minutes. It's like oh, no, we're set up and we're off. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. It just goes. Um, and I think that's the pace of this film. It's it's so sort of balls to the wall, sort of um, 
it gives you what you need. It, it, you know, it feeds you the information throughout. But if you, if you, you know, it doesn't care if you're able to keep up. If you can't keep up with it, like, well, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going on because Arnie's coming after you, and right. uh, you know, moving on. But it is. I, I think it's a cracking film from uh, you know for the era and for the budget they had as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and that's what's the most impressive about it, Scott, too, is like it's not just the storyline, but they were able to, to get so much out of that using guerrilla filmmaking tactics mm. and, and shooting almost when they weren't allowed to. Like, think the last scene of the movie, allegedly, they, they didn't have the permit to film on the highway at night. Or at, right. not, not at night, but at the end. That kind of thing is really interesting when you go back and find out some of the backstory of how they just were able to capture those moments that became iconic, really. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, the one thing, it'll be interesting on your... Um, thoughts on this being such a fan um sarah connor of t2 Mm -hmm. is almost like a feminist icon like she's she's a strong she's independent woman she is um you know i don't want to sound cliche but say you know do it for herself but she is independent like she is fighting for us and she's a very strong character sure um terminator one though and I'm not saying it's it's anti-feminism because I know James Cameron likes his you know he likes his strong female leads you know say Sarah Connor, Ellen Ripley, mm-hmm. but really if you think about it, Terminator One is two white men coming back to save a baby maker, mm-hmm. and it, it sort of boils and and maybe and maybe I am simplifying it more than <laughs> than it deserves and I know I am because there's more to it than that but that's re- really the just is it's two it's two male characters. Yeah. coming back to sort of fight over a her reproductive organs that's it mm-hmm. at that point she has no agency like you know like um it makes you wonder about the sort of like what she actually would have done is it in a different timeline but i don't know what are your thoughts on that so yeah that's definitely an interesting an idea and it's especially because if you think about the time frame when it was filmed of course 1983 mm. 1984 I mean, things were obviously a little different, and, uh, and people uh, expected different things from films, you know, especially yes. from female characters. And I mean, I review comics, you know, on my other show, of course, and you know th- that had been a big problem for many, many, many years with female characters getting sidelined for mm. the the antics of the male heroes, right? And what's interesting to me is that, and I get what you're saying too, is that is I have a lot of female friends who love. Sarah Connor, and especially the Terminator series because of um, the storyline and the emphasis that it puts on Sarah herself. You know, obviously, mm. I, I can't I can't speak specifically for them, being a guy, yeah. but um, it's it, it's one of those things where I mean, she, she's she's really caught in the middle. I, I, maybe mm. it's by design, Scott. She's caught in the middle because she's just an everyday person who's completely caught. Um, I mean, th- I think in the novelization or as a gag, I think it was. Uh, Bill Wisher or Randall Frakes, a couple of these guys who were writing the novelization, they, as a joke, they wrote a, like a one-paragraph summary of the whole movie. And I believe it goes like, on a typical town, on an agonizingly beautiful day, uh, a regular woman whose name I forgot killed a monster robot from the future and saved the human race. The end. Period. And that's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. It's it, it's such a strange thing. But I mean, I always remember that quote. It's such a funny little gag. But she is a in every in every person, everyday person who by the end of the movie she's now accepted her identity, you know, accepted yes. kind of her her mission. I mean, there's a part of the movie we, we remember under the overpass where she's saying, "I don't want this destiny. Mm-hmm. This 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 sucks," you know. 
So by the end, she is kind of galvanized and moving forward. So, I mean, I can't speak for women, how they feel towards the film as well. I mean, I have to ask my wife what she thinks, but I just think that... I really think Sarah Connor is truly a feminist icon, but that's just... Mm. Uh, I mean, well, we'll see what happens with the new Dark Fate film, but yeah, that's... Um, no, know, it's man. just... Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was just something to throw out there. It was just something, as a conversation I was having at the hotel. I was like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting... But as you say, it's a different time. The 80s were definitely a sort of a different era. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, I mean, for, you know, from character point of view, I do find it interesting that, like you say, she is uh, an 80s fluff character to begin with. Like, you know, if this was a true mm-hmm. horror film, like, she'd probably be... that she's, she's, she's She is almost like the Laurie Strode. Like, she could be the final girl. Right. And she has got Ginger, her best friend. Yes. Who... who you know, in, in any other, you know, if this was like a, a, a slasher series, like she'd be one of the first ones to go. You know, the promiscuous right. friend. Right. Um, so it's a great setup. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of shorthand in this to sort of like tell you about characters, but it's done so well and so yeah. concisely that I I do really appreciate some of the things. Sure. Um, and there's some great little one-liners that sort of like, again you don't appreciate until you know you know you appreciate the film. You know, and there's the at the very beginning, some kid puts ice cream in Sarah Connor's uh, <laughs> apron, which is actually really funny. And maybe she's on an obnoxious git, but I find that quite funny. But Ginger's line after is like, "Think about it this way: in a hundred years, who's going to care?" Mm-hmm. Well, we know the future, so right. you know it's that thing of like, well, in a hundred years, there may not be anyone to care. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's little things like that that I think are really clever and I really like about the film that that. Uh, you know, James Cameron and, and, and Gail and Heard have really sort of obviously thought about those things and it feels like a considered script and yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but I don't think it's appreciated as much. People look back at it and go, oh no, it's great for this and this. But no, the, the script itself is actually incredibly well thought out. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and, it, and you're right. It's one of those things where it's like, it was kind of a perfect storm. It kind of came together the way it did. I mean, with, with Cameron's vision, of course, you know, mm. and, and, and the way... Uh, I mean the movie role. I mean, just think about it. With with Arnold being cast as a T eight hundred villain, that was obviously it was a stroke of genius. But you and I probably know that it wasn't meant to be in the first place. Because no. the Terminator yeah. was was what supposed to be more of an infiltration kind of a, a being that could blend in like people like mm. you you and myself, you know. So uh, and then when Arnold comes on board uh, as a as a cast member, that just changes the whole dynamic of the film, where he becomes like a a tank rather than yes. someone who can just sneak right in and out and that ch- even changes the visuals 100% it's really it's, it's unbelievable you know it, it's true it, I, I really appreciate that as well because um, my understanding is that uh, when he went to pitch the idea to the execs like, he took Lance Hendrickson yep yep. so that was his original idea he was like, like you say small guy sort of like you know like you say slight sort of uh, incognito kind of kind of fashion right um, right and apparently, like I say, when Arnie was being talked about as becoming onto the cast, he was being talked about for Kyle Reese. Mm-hmm. And like I say, if that if it, it, it's it's funny, it makes me you know when you know that that it could have been Arnie versus uh, Lance Henriksen, the but the other way around, um, it makes you sort of realise what was happening when you get to T two. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get Arnie versus. Um, um, Robert Patrick as a T1000, you go, oh, okay, that's sort of what he was going for before then. So, right, yep. Um, yeah, but it would have been very different, really. Um, and Absolutely, of course there's, yeah. Uh, there's also the the casting that was never meant to be of uh, O.J. Simpson <laughs> as, as the Terminator. Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, that, that would have been a very different franchise now if that had been the case, yeah. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
so yeah, so I, I agree. I think the cast it's lightning in the box. I think the cast are um, spot on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, uh, we haven't really talked about it. it's Michael Bean as well as Kyle Reese. Um, right. What I mean, what are your thoughts of him? Because he's he's not the mega star. He's not the name in this piece, but he's so good. I think he was great. You know, he um, he did a great job because he had. It was the burden was on him to explain the premise more than anything. Mm. You're not going to get it from Arnie. You're not going to get it from Linda. It's you're getting it from Michael Bean, you know. And he's the one that has to explain it. And the way it's filmed too, especially, which Cameron was a genius, is they had him explain it in um, during action scenes. He explained the exposition while on the run. So you're getting, of course, the thrill of the action scene, but you're also learning about the mythology, about the year 2029. We smashed the defense grid, all this kind of stuff. It's almost at a breakneck speed. I mean, the whole movie mm-hmm. is like that too, Scott, but mm-hmm. it's it's at a breakneck speed, but it's almost like you're hang you are hanging on every word during that scene because yes, there's an imminent danger, but he's also telling her what's going on. And then they get into the parking lot and he fills her in on her actuality on what is really going on and she doesn't think that she's anything special but she's the most important person in the world right now you know what I mean so it's really really interesting so I think Bean did a great job and um, I mean he credits Cameron a lot with a lot of that stuff but but he really pulled it off it's because he's you can tell he's been through a lot that's what I liked Mm. about Michael Bean he's been through uh, immense pain immense suffering in a world of darkness, it's really it's really a terrific role. It's not an easy role either. No one really had an easy role in this movie, but I just think uh, he did a fantastic job. What What are your thoughts? No, I agree. I think one of the things that sort of watching it back this time mm-hmm. that I, I I didn't appreciate. I don't think I have appreciated in the past because you do you sort of follow the you know they're on the run, but the attention's very much on Arnie because that's the, the the badass and that sort of thing. Course, yeah. but really focusing on the acting, you're right. I mean, there's there's moments in this film. Uh, there's a moment where he sat in the car and he's sort of like he's watching the drill, uh, some construction crew, yep. and he sees it and he sort of like you know he, he falls into a dream and he, he you know, his dream is that flashback for him and that dream sequence is him you know obviously seeing the the post apocalyptic war, the hell that it is, and then it sort of you know it ends with him coming out and cocking the gun, sort of the the shotgun and stuff. You get this guy's got PTSD, like. You know, mm-hmm. this guy, like you say, he's been through some terrible, terrible stuff. Like he is battle hardened, and and um, but you, you're never entirely sure what he's gonna do. So even there's parts of the film, like in, when when he's in Tech Noir and yes. um, the 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 nightclub, um, you see Arnie coming in, and you see Michael Bean, and you're never entirely sure like what's his approach gonna be. Is he literally just gonna be there to run and gun? Like is he just there just to sort of you know what's mm-hmm. his emotions gonna be like? Because he always looks. He looks like he could be a serial killer. Let's be fair. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so when it, when they finally come across, and he is that sort of, he has that sensitivity, and he has that, you know, he's able to emote. It's it's he is so good. He he does. He carries the role amazingly. Because mm-hmm. um, the one thing I did pick up on this time is he's come from the past, and he actually says, "I didn't see the war. I grew up after the war, so mm-hmm. I never really got to see it." So, but he's never seen the world. As it is, like he's never seen like buildings standing. He's never seen cars going, or trains going, or people walking the streets. Yeah. yeah. So th- this is the first time there was moments in this film when you get that he's like, "All right, focus. Like, right. This is my mission. Don't get distracted. Don't yeah. get, you know, don't be yeah. overwhelmed by what's going on." Like, um, and I, I, I got that from Michael Bean more than ever in this last appearance. That like, he's just like he, he's on a mission. He's got to shut everything else down, and that's it. And um, mm-hmm. it's it's Sarah Connor that sort of ch- you know is the chink in the armor. 
right. um, that finally breaks through to him. And I think that's that their their relationship is so good in this. It's so you know. Um, so no, I agree. I think he's he's an unsung hero of this film. Yeah, and and, and you know, and with him too, especially is that his whole his whole character obviously is a it's a fish out of water story for him because you're right, Scott. He, he's seeing the world as it is, and and even in '84. And it's it's too beautiful for him to comprehend in some ways, which sounds crazy if you think about some of the crime-ridden areas that he had to go through to protect Sarah. But uh, there's another deleted scene that ended up on one of those uh, DVDs and Blu-rays that was cut out of the movie where he kind of has an emotional breakdown because mm. things are too beautiful for him to comprehend. He's so used to this destructed world. Or, and it's, it's actually a, it's a tease towards the... Um, yeah. Hey! Hey! How's it going? Um... So it, it's a tease towards the the whole future of uh, of his reality. Basically, he, he cannot comprehend things looking so nice the way they are. And so, what I was saying was that so Cameron, they cut the scene out of the movie, but it was going to be an actual um, leading into what ended up happening in T two with him. Mm. Uh, with 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 the main characters going after Cyberdyne, trying to stop it. Where it started, kind of thing, mm. and and he he really, you know, Sarah was like, well, listen, we we can we can stop it now, you know, and he says, no, that's not the mission, this and that, and then he kind of has a breakdown because he just can't see the trees, the nature, the animals, yeah. he he just can't take the fact that uh, things look so much different, you know. But you're right, though. But Sarah is the chink in his armor, and and it's you know that's that's where it's all about, you know. Yeah, and that, and I agree because I think that you know they're when they do finally sort of um, you know they get together and they they sleep together and it's sort of like it there, there are films where it could have been um, cheesecake it could have been it could have been done for the sort of just the ease you know what I mean sort of like, oh, okay well they've got to have sex so okay well, let's get some TNA in there let's have a bit of this time. but it it feels legit like you know mm-hmm. it, it's it's um, she has fallen in love with him and she has sort of broken through his armor. But more than that, like you know, it's almost like him dealing with the pain. Like I can feel that there's that moment of him working through mm-hmm. that 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 sort of um, it's 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 brilliant. Like you know, this it's it's you know not just the actors. You can tell that Cameron is finding his way, but mm-hmm. right. it's it's spot on. It's it's so it's so well done. Their relationship is really really well planned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Um. So really, I mean, the thing we've talked about, we've, we've talked about Sarah, we've talked about Kyle. Um, really, the, you know, obviously, we sort of need to talk about the the, the title character. Um, <laughs> so let's 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 have a quick chat about Arnie as um, the Terminator. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, we've already said, like you know, it could have been very very different. So he brings a different aesthetic. He brings a very specific aesthetic to this. But well, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts of Arnie as the Terminator? Arnie is is great in this because I mean it was kind of a perfect role for him at this time. Um, I think someone calculated the amount of money he may have been earning per word of dialogue in this, you know, and it was it was a, it was a lot because he doesn't speak a whole lot in this one. But what what he does say, uh, you really better listen because he, he doesn't threaten. He just he just demands, you know. Yes. Uh, think of the opening scene when he arrives uh, without clothing and he in, encounters the punks, you know. Uh, one of them being Bill pa- Bill Paxson, of course, mm. and he says, "Your clothes, give them to me." You know, he's not saying, "Can I have them?" or whatever. It's it's a demand. It, that's what he does. You know what I mean? So, from that standpoint, 
it's even threatening just on that alone. But then his physicality, his demeanor, and what I like is is his um, his acting when it comes to when he's in search mode. I'll call it. You know, mm. there's there's a part later on where he's searching for Sarah, and it's like his he's driving in the car, and his eyes are moving first, and then his head will follow, and then his eyes move back, and his head will follow. He's almost like a uh, not to use the term predator, but he, he's he's on the hunt basically, and you really kind of get. Um, almost like a machine-like quality out of this uh, this performance for what it's worth. Yes, the physicality was there, his uh, the, the guns and all the uh, suspense, but I think it really kind of helps having him there be like this driving force that never stops, that can't be bargained with, can't be reasoned with, and so on. Hmm. So it's just one of those things where I, I think it's, to your point, it's everything together really kind of made this film an iconic movie, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's almost like you say, he's... Because, I mean, Arnie is, for want of a better phrase, he is the body. You know what I mean? Like he was the first Mister Universe. Like he, he, and so he knows his physique. He knows his physicality, and then he uses it in this film to perfection. Like you know, he knows that he is probably like the biggest guy in the room in pretty much any room. Mm. And so you know, those confrontations or those sorts of uh, exchanges that he has with people, it's a, it's although he's a machine, like there's complete. I mean, there's complete focus. Like he knows that, like you know, no one's going to say no to him. Like and when they do, he's just going to roll over the top of them. Um, mm-hmm. And it is. I, I I I don't know if there's any detail of it, but like I I I mean, I go back to like Peter Weller um, when he became RoboCop. They had like a a mime coach and sort of like a dance coach. And everything like how you know they figured out how should RoboCop move, being this big chunky machine. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like there's an element of that, and I don't know whether it's just between Cameron and Arnie or whatever, but they, they do. They make decisions about, okay, well, he would do this. Like you say, his eyes are scanning, and he walks in a certain way, and, um, you know, like he, how he considers a room and all this other stuff. Like it's Yeah, there's no it, wasted it, movements for him. No. It's, everything is, you know, and he explained this in an interview two years ago, you know, takes pistol out, takes out cartridge, puts it in, it, it, everything it, it's not a wasted you know it's it, it, there's no uh you know big extravagant movements it's it's right to the point kind of thing and it's like that's a very interesting thing it's a very machine like quality you know and i appreciate mm. that from from the film but yeah yeah and I, and I look i mean again going back to those details like the way they use him and the way he gets um degraded and and sort of like you know the the punishment that his body takes across the film is mm-hmm. really again like it's staged like you you are getting um, glimpses of what you're going to get at the end. So you know, you build you're building up to the reveal, which is the 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 uh, exo the, the endoskeleton. You know the 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 robotic skeleton. You're building up to that, but they they keep showing you how tough this guy is, and it starts with like small things. I mean, literally the first thing you sort of see is that he takes a a, a barrage of guns and goes through a window. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, that's that's badass. And then he then he runs through like a wall of flame, and then it goes it, it just it escalates. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like you know, it, it keeps getting bigger. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love the fact that when he when he has ran through that wall of flame, like it doesn't just, um, but the, the 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 organic body is affected. Like he loses his eyebrows. <laughs> like in that after Technoir, like he has his eyebrows burnt off, and they maintain that for the film. Then it's yeah, it's a weird it's a weird look. <laughs> I can't deny it, but it works because then you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh man, this this guy looks weird," and <laughs> that body takes a beating. Um, yeah. But a- again, like it's Cameron 
thinking about these things. Like he he is considering all this stuff. I think and. Um, so when you do get like you know, and then he has to sort of check his arm, and he, you see the open arm with the the cords in it, and you're like, okay, well now I've seen that bit, and then you see the face, and you see the eye move, and all right, granted, the I would say that the puppetry hasn't aged great, but still, I'm buying it and I'm into it, and mm-hmm. when you see the robotic eye move, like I'm like, okay, I want you, I want to see what is under that skin, I want to see what is under that flesh, it's amazing. Right. Um, constantly being teased, so yeah. No, I think the Terminator is is a, um, a again so well thought out, really well constructed idea. Um, mm-hmm. That yeah, in, in in lesser hands could have been silly. It, it's a great story, Scott. It's it's a great uh, has great visuals, great editing. From, it's across the mm-hmm. board, really. It, and the film is so well done in a lot of ways that. Like my day job is I work at a TV studio and, and mm. I, I teach video courses and editing courses to folks and one of the things that I used to illustrate um, uh, particular editing techniques is the tech noir scene with Arnold coming in and just barely missing Linda. Uh, Sarah, you know, she knocks over the cup, she bends down, mm. uh, picks, picks up the cup, he walks by, everything is slow motion and then it starts cutting the parallel action of one character to another. And then you cut in Kyle Reese, who's waiting for the infiltrator unit to move on her so he knows what he, what he looks like and, and can can defend her. It's a brilliant scene. Every time I show class members that editing technique, a lot of these folks had not seen Terminator 1 because I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I think people more people know of the Terminator than have seen the Terminator or even remember in our in the way we're discussing it, you know, people think, "Oh, it's yeah, it's Arnie. He's always been the good guy. He's always been the yes. the hero, and he's got the glasses." But people don't remember, uh, oftentimes, the iconic original, where where he was this unstoppable villain. Where I mean, it's it's really astounding. So when I show people that scene, that they're almost like surprised seeing Arnold in a villainous role, uh, where he's taking no prisoners. You know? Yeah, and I think well, I think you're right because. Um... I, I put like I think the Terminator is akin to Alien, mm-hmm. in that sort of like you know it's it's a small scale almost horror. I mean this is really the first one is, is very much like a slasher film. It's, slasher it's got film, that, yeah. yep. um, and then it's obviously built on that. You got you know you got Terminator Two and stuff. But I, I I honestly think that the Terminator franchise is tarnished by a weird desire to almost poke fun and parody what has come before. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll get to it in a little bit, but like the "I'll be back" line in this is is iconic. You know, it becomes like Arnie's catchphrase. Yeah. Um, but it, again, it, it's it's just a, it's just an offhand comment. But now, in every flaming Terminator film, they've got to like <laughs> shoehorn it in. And all right, in the second one, it's sort of used as a bit of a as a bit of a gag, a bit of a poke in the ribs, and you go, "All right, I'm I'm fine with that." But then by the third one, you've got him mm-hmm. saying like, "I'm back." And then mm-hmm. the TX gets and she'll she'll be back and you're like oh yeah. Jesus and then it gets worse and worse so yeah I, I I can see why people forget how dark and how good this first <laughs> film was. Do you know when I saw Terminator Salvation the fourth one in 2009 the theater actually erupted in laughter at Christian Bale's uh, phrase of that he said yeah. he said it was an offhand line. I don't think it was meant to get laughs. It was probably meant to get appreciation from the fans. But you got a whole crowd laughing at how uh, ridiculous it was. Basically, that's the, and then I looked around. I'm like, wow, this is 
and definitely an interesting experience, you know, hearing the yeah. coming back and the whole, the whole crowd, it's like a joke, you know, it's everyone just laughing at it. So that's it. Uh, so, oof, that missed the mark. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But so that's Terminator 1. I mean, the, the, you know, the first Terminator film. And I think one of the things just to round out this first film is that, as you as we sort of said at the beginning, like, this could be taken as a, as a, as a standalone film. I mean, the core concept of this film is, um, and I said we're going to be talking spoilers throughout. So, but the core concept of this film is actually the war would not have happened. Skynet would not be built without the Terminator having been sent back in the first place. Right. Because the the first Terminator sort of instigates the technology which builds Skynet. Mm-hmm. John Connor would not have existed without Carl Reese having been sent back because he fathers him, and you get that sort of paradox. Then it's called you know they get like a, a time loop or a bootstrap paradox mm-hmm. of. Okay, well, what comes first? So it's sort of like you know, well, okay, that that Terminator arm is what instigates the ter- you know the, the construction of Skynet, and Skynet gets yeah. built, which then creates the Terminator, which then sends the Terminator back, and da da da. <laughs> so I mean, I saw um, when I was researching this before, actually, I watched a video, and it was a sort of a physicist trying to explain some sort of times around time travel, and someone had said, well, who fathered John Connor in the first timeline? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this guy was like, no, 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 Kyle Reese has always been. John Connor's father. That's just how it works. Like it's a time yeah. paradox. It's a loop. Like it's, you know, it's like he he, John Connor does not exist without Kyle Reese. I know it's crazy. And yeah. you go round and round, and you do like you dig it. You go, that's nuts. But I mean, there's a. What's your thoughts on that then? Well, that was a question I was going to throw towards you uh, to begin with. I was going to say, who was John's original dad? You know, when I first <laughs> was gr- was growing up, I was thinking the whole time it was. Someone else. It was uh, maybe it was Stan Morsky, the guy who canceled Sarah's date way back mm. when, who was actually Jim Karen uh, voice, by the way, in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, but it, you know, who knows? I used to think it was possibly someone else being the father, and then that sets up a different timeline. And now Kyle is always the father at this point. Um, but now at this, I mean, at this juncture, I, I don't. I mean, I I imagine it probably was always Kyle. I mean, mm. if we go by the rules of Time travel movies, which in the most perfect time travel movie of all time is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, right? Yeah. So basically, yes. <laughs> and, and they do they do it so well where it's like you know they're having a conversation in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where they say, "Well, we'll just just remember to put it behind the bush or the rock, and it'll be there." Okay, yeah. just do it later on, and they go, "Is it there now?" Yeah, it's here. Sweet. And it's like it it would be there theoretically. Yeah. So it's it's just don't forget to do it later. No, I didn't forget because it's there. So it's just one of those stupid things where. I mean, you. Sarah says it at the end of part one. She says a person could go crazy thinking about all these time paradoxes, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I think it was the producers of the movie. They called this film "It's a Wonderful Life with Guns." Basically, you know, it's like yeah. it, it's John Connor and and his whole role in the future. It's a, it's so important that he survived to the future. You know, and the thing that I love the most about this movie is not just what you talked about, Scott, with the paradoxes, but also thinking about the photograph. Of Sarah mm. Connor that Kyle has in the future and of course you bypass the whole idea is why would General Connor be giving this photograph to one of his soldiers this is a picture of my mother here just here you go it's weird yeah, it, it's, it's, it's it, strange it is because it's also especially when you look at the future and right. obviously it's a real gro- it is a case of like here's a picture of my mother and a box of Kleenex it's like you know I don't want to know about it <laughs> You but it's clear, <laughs> yeah. But it's clean. It's clearly going to lead to something. So, oh boy, yeah. It, 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 that was that must have been an awkward conversation that um, 
they they unfortunately try to address in a future film. <laughs> you, you know, but the thing I like the most about the photograph is Kyle has a line of dialogue in this film where he says he always had fallen in love with her from seeing the photograph, and he always wondered what she was looking at at that moment in time when the photograph was taken. Mm-hmm. And it, why would a, such a beautiful woman be so sad kind of thing, you know? And yeah. what, I, what I love about this film is that she's thinking about him at that exact moment in time. Mm. Uh, because when the photo's taken at the end of the movie, she's thinking about Kyle. And boom, the, she, the kid takes the photograph. So it's just one of those things where I loved that concept. The fact that she's thinking about him at that moment in time. And he always wondered what would make her so sad. And it's because of his loss. And I love that. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, this, that's why this film is so good. The first one is so well thought out. It's, it's, you know, people talk about the perfect movie, and it, it's not. I wouldn't say this is a perfect movie, but mm-hmm. it's close because it ties up so much. You know, and, and I wish they'd kept in that a couple of the deleted scenes. They said I can see why they dropped the one about Kyle. Uh, you know, uh, having a bit of a, a an emotional reaction because it slows right. down the pace and stuff. Sure, but just that stinger of showing Cyberdyne. Mm-hmm. Would have been a nice. Just keep that in. Would have been a great um, little stinger. But it, well, you know, I, I, in an interview that Cameron had, actually, I think it was on the commentary. One of the reasons why they removed the scene that you're talking about, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, was that he was displeased with the uh, the acting in that scene by those two, uh, by, by the two actors who were doing that sequence. He right. wasn't really happy with it. He says, you know what, at the end of the day, it's not going to contribute to this particular story at this time. Let's cut it. And they were trying to cut stuff anyway, of course. Yeah. You know? But, uh, yeah, yeah, he claimed it was the acting that, that did it. You know, if you see it, it was, you know, he, he wasn't happy with it. So so that's what I heard. That's what, from from, uh, uh, from his and, lips. So, yeah. And he is renowned for being a perfectionist. Like, you know, the, the, the guy doesn't, you don't mess with I don't. I don't think you argue with uh, with James Cameron when it comes to uh, <laughs> visual effects and sort of like acting. You just go, okay, well, I'm sorry, I'll do that again. Well, I mean, at the time they probably did, right? Because he mm. was so. I mean, what did he have under his belt at the time? Piranha Two. I yeah. mean, so he, so I mean, what was really? I mean, I don't know if he had written first uh, uh, First Blood Part Two yet or anything like that. But he he was really new to the business at that time. Mm. But the when he was even was when he was an art director in Piranha Two. You know, he started small, and people were starting to respect him as if he was the director because he mm. was a take charge alpha male kind of dude. You know what I mean? Like, this is what we do. This is what we do. And if you don't like it, too bad. Yeah. And he gets a lot of flack, and you know, and sometimes in the commentary he comes off a little arrogant. But uh, you know, it's but he does know know what's up, and the fact that he this was his this was his baby. You know, this this yeah. was his thing. You know, I, uh, I think yeah. uh, he's, he's one of those people in Hollywood that you do think actually you've probably got the right. To be arrogant, like you know, it's 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 hard not to call him. Like I, can't, I couldn't really say he's done a a terrible or particularly bad film. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, so that's nineteen eighty four, and we we travel forward sort of like seven years, and we get um, Terminator Two, mm-hmm. and Terminator Two uh, starring again Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, L- Linda Hamilton reprising uh, Sarah Connor. We're now introducing uh, Edward Furlong as a young. Uh, I'm not going to say his age because that sort of seems to bounce around a bit. <laughs> but a young uh, John Connor, uh, Robert Patrick as the liquid metal uh, T1000, and yeah. Joe Morton. I'm just going to mention him as uh, Miles Dyson, the mm-hmm. uh, scientist who creates uh, Cyber, uh, who works for Cyberdot and creates Skynet. Or his team, mm-hmm. directed by James Cameron, uh, written by uh, James Cameron and Willem Wisher. So. Mm-hmm. Again, sort of like first, first reaction, first initial thoughts on Terminator Two. Uh, 
This one, it, it's it's iconic, man. It's mm. it's an iconic film from from top to bottom. Um, it it doesn't have to. I, I'll speak from experience, right? You don't have to have seen the first one to appreciate this one. Because mm-hmm. I, I probably saw this about 30 times before I ended up seeing part one. Um, and it works on a lot of levels. I don't think you appreciate it as much if you don't see the original. But it's um, it's an iconic film. Uh, it was the, it, not just the special effects, which everyone talks about the special effects with the T-1000 and, all, and Stan Winston's brilliance with mm-hmm. uh, you know all the animatronics. Uh, but it, it, from top to bottom, it's a powerful story. Uh, it, it, it's an emotional roller coaster for the viewer. It's not just action nonstop. Right. There's a whole lull in the center of the movie where it's it's very emotional. It dials down the action. And you don't see the team with thousand for about 45 minutes. Mm. And that, and that's the main antagonist of the film. He's not seen for almost an hour because it's building up the world. It's building up fate versus free will concepts. You know, what does Sarah have to do next? And it, even from, from top to bottom, it, it's a fantastic movie. And even this one, this one could have ended the whole series and we would have been happy because of the way... It has an open ending, but it's a little bit more hopeful than the darkness of the first one. You know, yeah. That that's my original take on it, though. You know, yeah, so. yeah. And let's see. That's the you see the the theatrical and en- en- um, version has has that sort of open ending, uh, and I think we'll, we'll get to the sort of the extended and the the, well, the special edition and the extended special edition. Yeah. Um, uh, and and uh, those ad- additional scenes and whether they add anything, but uh, yeah, no, you, I'm very much like yourself. It's sort of it's, it's a it's one of the first. Um, you know, as a kid, you're sort of getting into, you know, when you're excited about films, and there were certain films in the 80s I was excited about. I was a big fan of like Indiana Jones and Ghostbusters and that sort of thing. Yeah. But this was like one of the first films that was coming out that I was like truly hyped for. Like, you know, that I remember seeing um, they had like a trading card set. There was a, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a magazine special, the toys, like you said, the Kenner toys. And there was just, just this big hype for Terminator 2. <laughs> you're right. And I remember thinking, like, how the hell can I sneak into the cinema to see this? Like, you know, I'll have to stick a moustache on or something. But, like, (laughs) I just remember there being this, like, buzz about this film and then uh, finally getting to see it and being, like, blown away. Like, as you say, as a kid, like, you're drawn to the action. And um, Mm -hmm. there are parts of the film, again, I remember being, there are parts of the film, as a kid, you're a bit like, oh, come on, move on. And then you get the climax. But now, as an adult and I watch it, there are parts in this film that are, like you say, really um, well. It's it's so well paced, but the emotional impact of the whole thing now sort of resonates more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that 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 lull in the middle, as you say, it's not a lull, but that sort of that the 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 deep, the quietening down of everything that sort of like in the middle, yeah, is so good and so well done. Um, and sets you up, but it, not only does it sort of like you know it brings you up to speed, it gives you a breather. You get some time with the characters, and then you sort of like, okay, you ready? All right, we're off to the finale now. Yeah, yeah. and and you get like an hour and a bit of like just crazy action, which is great. Right. Um. Yeah. Th- this this is, I think, sort of uh, again, as you said, like James Cameron, sort of like you know, he he was making his name. He'd done The Abyss, which um, is is a pretty solid film. It's it's a good film, but this I think is still what for me made his name. Like this is. Um, him becoming sort of that level of that in you know, that, that top tier of filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And it aliens too, of course. I mean, it's I yes, mean, he was slowly yeah. starting to he was starting to ramp up, but by ninety one he was firing on all cylinders. You know, so yeah. it's 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 really astounding. Yeah, it's such a good film. Um, 
so to give a quick overview of the plot, really, it's sort of yeah. So it's been it's been some years since uh, the events of the first Terminator film. Sarah Connor now uh, residing in uh, Pescadero Mental Institution, uh, still claiming to sort of know details about the future and the fact that her son is going to be uh, the the savior of the human race. Said son, John Connor, now lives with uh, foster parents uh, in part of California, uh, just outside Los Angeles, and then one day. Uh, two new figures are sent back from the future. The first, a T-800, much like the one that came in 1984, but this time sent to protect John Connor. Uh, the second figure is the T-1000, a liquid metal terminator that can turn parts of its body into solid metal objects, and from there it goes nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, again, like I say, the concept of this is pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but the thing, the thing is, again, as a kid, like you focus in on John Connor, and I think you know Ed, Edward Furlong probably hasn't had a stellar career, but mm-hmm. I, I actually think he's pretty, he's he's pretty good in this. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe just playing obnoxious, it was easy for him. I don't know, <laughs> but I, <laughs> he, he he did a good job, and you know he um he was plucked out of obscurity for this movie. Uh, he he was yeah. he was just a kid, I think, at a YMCA. And as legend has it, they there was a casting director looking for uh, kids with a great look. And they saw him just kind of hanging around. They said, hey, kid, have you ever done a movie before? And from what I understand, his answer was, well, my dad videos my birthday parties all the time. You know, <laughs> so, so he, he really wasn't involved at all at that point. Mm. And the, the movie, you know, for better or worse, it did change his career, his life. It gave him the, the movie roles after this. You know, he, he didn't become as big as a lot of people had expected him to. Mm. But for his role, I thought he did a great job because he's, he's kind of a punk. Like, he's got, he's got some attitude, right? But in a way, by, by the end, he's starting to take leadership. He's starting to take control in small ways so that it's not n- unbelievable that he's going to be the worldwide resistance leader someday. You know, he's, he's not just, yeah, he's a punk, but, you know, he's also living with his foster parents and his mom is allegedly crazy. So it's, uh, I, I thought he did a darn good job, you know, for, mm. for what it was. I mean, he was, he was a kid, you know, so, but I thought he did great, you know, so. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you sort of, um, I think obviously you can tell that he's probably supported by the guy, you know, the actors and obviously the crew and everything around him. But uh, yeah, as as a story arc, he does have an interesting one because he comes in, he's he's clearly like angry at the world, like you know, mm-hmm. he's been, he feels like he's been lied to by his mother. Right. He's been dumped on these people that you know he really hasn't really connected with, and he is looking just to rebel. You know, that's that seems to be like you know he, that's all he wants to do. Um, and I say when it when he realizes or when it's revealed to him that it's all true. Um, like it's not, it's not a hard left turn. Like he still remains angry about things, and he's still got that, you know, that that attitude. Um, but he's almost like starts to harness it, like you say. So by the end of it, he is using that to um, to motivate, and he, you know, he sort of um, he does it to pick his mum up as well, doesn't he? Sort of like to, a bit like she did with, with with Carl Reese in the first film. Like you know, he's sort of like picking her up and like, come on, get on, move it, and sort of. So he is, like you say, he's taking on. He's trying to mature a bit. Sure. Um, so he definitely has an interesting like. But the the thing I always take from the the interesting thing I find with John Connor is his consideration for others. Mm-hmm. That despite everything, you know, despite him being angry and rebellious, like. He never, it's never about hurting people. And he actually has got this sort of like genuine um, 
care and 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 feel for the for the like you know, so you know he sort of went everything from when um, you know you can't kill it. He keeps he's telling the Terminator like you can't kill anyone. You know he shoots, <laughs> shoots the guard in the legs, which is is one of the best scenes ever. But also <laughs> like the moment he realizes the T one thousand is going to try and reacquire him, but his his foster parents like he has to ring them to make sure they're okay. Right. Um, and again, like later on, like you know, he says um, when Arnie's like, you know, the police will turn up at Cyberdyne, and, and uh, he says like, you know, I'll take care of the police. He's like, wait, you said you wouldn't hurt you know, hurt anyone. Like, like he legitimately cares that mm-hmm. yes, we yes, we've got to do this mission, but people are bystanders and they shouldn't be hurt in in, in the process of doing this. Yeah, you, you can't just go around killing people. He keeps telling them, and and yeah. and like like a two year old, Arnie doesn't get it. He says why? He says yeah. he just he doesn't get it. Why? He says because he just can't. Okay, you know, and it, in a in a funny way that that's a little bit probably how the conversation went between Arnold and Jim Cameron in the planning process because mm. Cameron when when he contacted Arnie about this movie, he had said okay, this is the deal. You're going to be the heroic character, but you're not going to. It's imperative that you don't kill anybody in this movie. And Arnold was so taken aback because, remember, think of his repertoire at that point. You know, Commando, mm. Predator. I mean, you know, raw deal, red heat. He's blowing away bad guys left and right. Yeah. And and their conversation was probably pretty similar to how Arnie and John Connor was because he says, well, can I just kill a couple people in the movie? No, no, Arnie. You, you can't do it because... <laughs> because please. The, please. Yeah, because you just can't because the T-800, it's, he's on a good mission. Well, well oh, she's okay. He goes, okay, fine, Jim. He says, I'll stop killing people. After he tells me to, I'll kill people before that. No, 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 you can't do that either. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's very important. So if you go back and watch it, the scene in the bar, the biker bar, he didn't kill any of those dudes. He, he brutalizes no, he did, them. Yeah. He, he takes his clothes. He takes their clothes, but he did, he doesn't do it. So it's really kind of interesting that. So the whole movie, he's a pretty heroic character. Yes, he's okay with maiming folks and shooting mm. them in the kneecaps, but uh, yeah, but he does not kill people, which is pretty interesting, you know. It, yeah, it is. It's sort of like I say, it's, it's a definite turn. Um, and it, and again, they sort of they they address that um, in two different ways. Like I say it's, it's slightly more in the extended edition, and again, I see why they drop it. But there's a line about him being able to learn. So like John Connor sort of says to him, says, "Well, you know, if you're going to actually fit in, you need to be able to adapt. Like how do you do it?" And he says, "So are you able to do that?" And he says, "Oh, my CPU is a learning computer. So actually, mm-hmm. he set he, he is set up to do that." So right. You know, like he can take on the use of like lines like um, no, "no problemo," "asta la vista, baby," that sort of thing. <laughs> right. And it, in the um, what I find interesting though is in the in the extended edition, mm-hmm. they have the same conversation, and actually says, "I can," but actually, because I was sent back, Skynet had my learning capabilities switched off. Right. And then they have to open his skull, which it, it's a real shame they wasted that scene because it's it's a really again. From a special effects point of view, it's a really well set up scene. It, but it's my favorite like, scene of the entire franchise. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, and it's not even in the standard version of the film, which is no. crazy. Because, but, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, but no, no, it's true. Yeah, because they, they open his head, they pull out the chip, and then you know they they turn it on so he can, he can be a learning computer. But there's so much more in that scene. Like, there's so many more moments, <laughs> and it's it's. I mean, they use from a special effects point of view, they use a dummy because uh, it's meant to be a mirror, and you're supposed to be seeing Arnie. Given right. dialogue, so it's That's a dummy, right. and actually, it's a false. It's a it's a hole, and they used Sarah, uh, sorry, Linda Hamilton's twin sister, yeah, yep. for the mirror. It's brilliantly done. I mean, it's it's, it's one, so it's well one shot. It's one shot, and it's like so. Not only is it thematically amazing, but it's it's basically it's one shot that is just so it's so well done from a filmmaking standpoint and from the, like from a theme standpoint as well. Of course, you know, um, yes. 
So it's like, yes, you're right. So they use uh, Leslie Hamilton across from Linda, which is amazing, you know, and they use uh, uh, Eddie Furlong's uh, body double for that scene. Mm. And, it's, and it's all one take. So it goes from Arnie across from them, and, it, and the camera zooms over, and now you're digging into the head of this machine, and it's all one take. Yeah, so it pans it's, around. It's, it's so good. It's it's And then from a theme standpoint, it's even more powerful for me because it's, think about it, right? So you have this unstoppable killing machine that once they remove this, his uh, brain chip, they put it on the table, and Sarah grabs a, a small mallet, an eight-pound mallet, and goes to smash it. Yes. If she had destroyed the, the chip, you got no more Terminator. You, he, he can't yeah. function. He, he's destroyed. So you could have, remember, she could have, she probably wanted to kill him the moment she met him in T2 because of what happened yes. to her in the last one. So it, in a way, it's like, imagine this ultimate killing machine getting killed by an eight-pound mallet. You know, and it's like, and then the best part is my favorite. They put the chip back in his head. And there's a small little thing on the screen that says time elapsed. And it says mm. like a minute, minute and 20 or whatever. And prior to that, John had taken control. He said, listen, if I'm supposed to be the, a great world leader, why don't you listen to my ideas once in a while? He says, we need him. And he goes, no, it's an it. You know, it's this big, yeah. it's a big, big fight. But she basically gives him control and he takes his first step as a leader. It's brilliant. But they put the chip back in Arnie's head and he goes, was there a problem? Because he can tell time yeah. has passed yeah. longer than it should have. And John goes, no problem whatsoever. And it's just, it's yeah. a great scene. I w- it's hard to describe. We apologize from going in detail. But I would say for any listeners right now, when you're done with the podcast, pop in your Google machine, go to YouTube, search that that sequence. Uh, it's the brain chip scene from Terminator 2. It's, it's in the special edition, but mm. it's not the theatrical cut. And it's uh, it's heartbreaking not seeing it in there because it's a great sequence. Yeah. But you're right, though. I think one of the things you say there that it adds is one of the one of the issues I always, even as a kid, like even when I was a teens, I watched it, one of the issues I always had with this film, and there's few, and there are very few issues I have with this film, is knowing what Sarah's gone through to the events of 1984, then, mm-hmm. you know, years of building herself up, becoming stronger, becoming more um, strategically capable and all this other stuff, and then have, and then being caught and spending more years in, uh, you know, a psychiatric institution. So the bitterness and resentment and all this other stuff that's building up. Sure. She, for me, it always felt a little bit like, she's like, oh, okay, so you're a good guy this time. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so, oh, John says you're good. Fine. Do you know what I mean? It always felt a little bit, easy mm-hmm. right. and that but that scene is it like you say where it happens it tells you that actually she's always been biding her time like throughout that throughout the the um the pascadero escape through all the fights with the t-1000 <clears> like at that point like she's just been biding her time until right. she could terminate the terminator and then exactly it's, yeah. it's john that stops her so it is it's a shame that's not in the it's a shame that's not in the in the the theatrical version really but and remember, too, with her at the Pescadero State Hospital, she kind of is a little bit like Kyle Reese at this point because she knows the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knows what's going to happen. Everyone thinks she's nuts. And there's all these parallels to Kyle's sequences in the first film where, for mm-hmm. example, if you remember in, in Terminator 1, uh, Dr. Silverman, the vile Dr. Silverman, uh, who makes <laughs> his return in T2, of course, um, he's he's interviewing criminal psychologists. I mean, he's interviewing... Um, Kyle and Kyle's telling everything about that he knows about, and he's being honest. He's being brutally honest. This is what's going to happen. And then he starts yelling and screaming, and then they pause the videotape so that they're right, right as he's saying, he's going to come for her, he's going to tear her heart mm. out. And they pause the tape. Now, if you jump forward to Terminator 2, Sarah is kind of in that role because she knows the future. She's yelling, and then at one point in her interview, she's yelling and screaming, I know what happened, Silverman. It happens. And they pause the tape, and it's, it's a total throwback. 
yes. to part one, where she is now is has the burden of the future. Even her own son at this point no longer believes her because he thinks that she's nuts. You know, yeah. and that, that that's a brilliant callback. Yeah, yeah, I love that phrase. Actually, that's a really good phrase. She ha- she has the burden of the future. That's because that's what it is, isn't it? She, there's that knowledge burning in her that sort of like you know she no one else believes her. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that phrasing. Yeah, and that, and that's yeah. So it is. It's great to see that in the film that when she does have that confront and her reaction as well because she's been sort of like again so stoic and she's been really sort of pretty badass up until this point so like you know right she's she, you see her trying to play Superman as well because she sort of you know, she she has that sort of like vicious a, a, a break <laughs> during that interview yeah. where she right. sort of and then it pans to her saying like well you know I think I've actually made some progress and you said <laughs> I could go to sort of minimum security and he's got he's like no nah, no because you clearly <laughs> not make any progress um like he's not a great doctor but he you know i actually i'm siding with him at that point and then she attacks him again and um but like you've seen like she's clearly not you know she's clearly not um stable but she's mm-hmm. capable because then she but then and then she escapes and she takes them all on it's all and it's all really well planned but right. the moment arnie steps out of that lift like mm-hmm. you see it in her face and her reaction it right. just goes away and like she's like she turns and runs, and she's mm-hmm. like you know it's it's again like it's a really good scene, it's a really powerful scene that this woman and the, who and is the, like in the scene in the scene is probably burned in your head too, just like it is mine. With you know he steps out of the lift, you know the elevator, and it's mm. slow motion because Cameron's a brilliant when it comes to slow mo because yes. slow mo is it gets a bad rap because nowadays people like Michael Bay and all these other uh, producers they use it for um, for action Everything. sequences, yeah. right? But now um, you have Cameron using it for suspense. He's using yes. suspense to build up, and it's it's totally stunning. It's almost like like when you're in a car accident, for example. You know, it's like they, they say that it's almost like time is slowing down. Mm. Sometimes when you're in a car, it's like you experience things totally different. So it's 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 brilliant how he does it. Yeah, it's so well done. I mean, and again, I like full props to Linda Hamilton at this point because everything's written on her face like that fear and that confusion and everything because the moment like John then comes out and sort of John's kneeling over her and sort of saying like no mum mum look it's fine like he's on our he's, he's on our side and she's just looking between John and the Terminator and you can see on her face she's like I haven't got a fucking clue mm-hmm. what, what is going on um, and it's not actually again until the, like the T-1000 turns up that it seems to fall into place for her a little bit Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also like Dr. Sullivan's, um resp- response because we haven't talked about it, but Robert Patrick playing T1000 again wonderfully, like t- t- you know, uh, put to the T, perfectly well done, this guy. Right. Um, but as he's liquid metal, like um, molds through a barred gate, mm-hmm. um, and sort of then like you know, like Arnie's like he's here, so we've got to go, and she sort of looks and goes, oh okay. There's something worse. Okay, I, I, we better move. Yeah. Um, uh, and I just love Doctor Subman's like response of he's just like frozen and this sort of the syringe cap sort of falls from his mouth because he's just like I don't know what's right and what's up and what's down anymore. Like this right, makes right. no sense. Um, yeah, but that whole sequence it 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 it, it draws that baseline, doesn't it? It sort of sets the chessboard of like okay, now mm. everyone's in place. Um, mm-hmm. It's so well done. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so that's sort of like, you know so we've sort of said that part of the plot. But I mean, let's sort of so let's talk about the T one thousand as a concept and um, mm-hmm. Robert Patrick because we obviously you know all those cast are back. But what what are your thoughts on Robert Patrick as the T one thousand? 
it, he does such a great job in this one because his uh, he's he's slightly off, right? You know, it, it's mm. his 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 temperament, his uh, demeanor. He's a li- he's a little strange, right? But he's a cop, so people automatically respect him, right? So it's or at least. Uh, understand that he's an authority at the very mm. least, right? So, and that's another example of uh, the brilliant role reversal in, in these movies. I mean, if you think of T1 once more, the scene of Tech Noir, you have Sarah thinks Kyle is most likely the perpetrator, mm. and she's next on the list because you're right, he he looks pretty scary in that scene. And then Arnie shows up and he's the real bad guy, right? So it's playing with expectations and, and moving stuff around so it's more interesting for the viewer, right? So if you didn't see any of the ad campaign, if you weren't aware of the iconography of who the T-800 was as a character and how he was going to be a hero, because if you saw any TV, I'm sure they did lots of interviews saying, yeah, I play the good guy this time, blah, 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 this and that. Um, You might actually be surprised if you go into the movie cold that Arnie is actually the good guy because Mm. you have the T-1000 and and Arnold come back and it's both not clear if they've killed the people who they've acquired their clothes from. So... Potentially, the T-1000, even though when you first see him, he's a little weird, you might think he might actually be a human because of his physicality, and he's putting on a cop's uniform. He doesn't necessarily kill the cop. He just knocks him over, theoretically. So he could be someone who's actually there to protect John. So if you weren't aware of the ad campaign, Arnie could be the bad guy right into the moment of that hallway when yes. he's telling John to get down. Well, it's, it's funny you say that. So I went back and did a little bit of research on this, and... Um Apparently, again, James Cameron sort of like he had his sway, and that's the thing. Like he was determined to keep that reveal a secret. Mm-hmm. So uh, apparently, say part, part of the promo after the film came out, like they were able to talk about it and stuff. But up until that point, like it didn't appear in the adverts. Like the advert campaign was all about like um, the very first like teaser that came out was that silhouette of Arnie. So like yeah. half, half face, half endoskeleton. Like, and you're like, you right. know, it said like he's back, and you're just like. So you, everything was setting him up as like mm-hmm. the as the antagonist, um, and all this other stuff. So yeah, you're right. And the way they sort of set things up in motion in that first sort of part of the film, yeah, either one could be the the, the hero or the villain. Like even when he sort of turns up at um, the T one thousand turns up at the foster parents' house, and right. he says, "Oh, have you got? Have, you know, have you got? A, we're looking for John. Have you, uh, have you got a picture of him?" And he says, "Oh yeah." And he says, "Oh, and there was there was someone else looking for him as well, like a big guy on a bike." <laughs> and he says, "I wouldn't worry about him." And yeah. it's, it's 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 like you think, "Oh, so so he's aware of him." So you know, right? Um, it's yeah, it could be like that that whole scene uh, in the mall where. So again, so to bring it up to point, so you know, John Connor sort of been out, basically sort of like being a rebel with his mates. He's stolen money. They've shown his tech capability. <laughs> yep. And you know, he's being hunted down by both the T eight hundred and the T one thousand, and. He runs because he sees Arnie, doesn't he? He actually sees... No, he runs because a cop is looking for him, which is Robert Patrick. Right, right. And then when he runs into that hallway, and again, they use that sort of Mm -hmm. slow-mo of the slow motion of of Arnie comes out, uh, John Connor turns, and you see the the T-1000 walks out as as Robert Patrick is the policeman. And then Arnie just says, duck. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of, you know, he dropped the rose. Yeah, I yeah, get down. And then he starts shooting him, and you see the sort of the the uh, for the first time the liquid metal effect of the gun. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it's it's um, he does he paces it all so well to that reveal because at that point, like you say, it's it's um, um, it really is sort of like well paced. I, I just, I just, yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it in that way before, but yeah, it's 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 all well done to 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 
to build to that reveal, really, hasn't it? Which would have been... <laughs> in fact, I was going to say, it would have been... That's something would have been blown. But there are several Terminator films now where the, the, the twist has been revealed quite early on in the advertising campaign. So mm-hmm. they clearly didn't learn from the, the benefits of Terminator 2. Yeah, totally, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know. So what? But what are your thoughts about Arnie coming back as the good guy, though? You know, does it work for you? Is he? Um, mm-hmm. You know, is is he better, worse? Is it? How does it work for you? You know, it's obviously it's a tough question. At at this stage of his career, I was more familiar with him as um, an, a protagonist, as a hero, mm-hmm. as someone who was uh, stopping the bad guys, basically. So. It, from that standpoint, it, it fit him well, you know. And I think uh, this was out of the se- the series itself. This is the best. What, what, when he's a good guy, this is the best one because he kind of like he really plays it down down the middle because you you don't know he could very easily be be killing people to accomplish the mission as long as John's okay and potentially Sarah, but that's not even a, a really a concern. He's all life is expendable to him. You know what mm. I mean. So, mm. um, so it, so he does still play with that as if he is a killing machine. Like he, you know, he's not going out of his way to help everyone else, uh, help little old ladies across the street or something like that. <laughs> um, but no, I thought for this one it worked really well. Um, you know, and, and it's compelling. And, and what's interesting about this one too, uh, Scott, is that think think back to part one, right? Part, mm. In part one, uh, the Terminator is there's so much punishment and damage inflicted on him. And it's a sense of horror. It's like this guy is not stopping, and and he won't stop until we're dead, kind of thing. And it, and it's terrible, right? Mm. You flash to to this one, and think of all the scenes where he's getting beat up by the T one thousand. Closer to the end of the movie, where he's getting skewered and he's getting mm. stabbed in his arm, and it's actually it's it's more about pathos than than terror because you now feel for this character who's just a robot, right? Yeah, all, all yeah. things fair. He's just a machine. <laughs> And, and a killing machine at that, you know. And But you feel for him, the more he's... Now, he's not feeling pain, but as humans, we sort of empathize with that character. He's just trying to protect the kid, and he's getting tortured. He's getting... Mm. And, and he gets uh, stopped for a brief amount of time. So it's one of those things where, role reversal, yet again, it's like instead of the terror we feel for him not being stopped, we now feel for him. He's basically the best father figure that John's ever had, right? Yes. So it's it's such an interesting concept that even Sarah addresses during the movie. Uh, she's in the desert with her friends trying to regroup, get weapons back, get a plan, because they don't have a plan at that point. They don't know what they're going to mm. do. Uh, and she has the nuclear nightmare. But she she looks at Arnie and she looks at John and she goes, out of all the would-be fathers, this is the only one that, that actually stepped up, basically. It's like it's the only one that measured up. In, in an imperfect world, he was the perfect choice. It's yes. such an interesting concept that the killing machine, the same kind that was trying to murder her in the first one, is the one that's uh, there to... He would die to protect John. And, and one of my favorite scenes is kind of like a little understated scene. It's at the gas station just after the brain chip scene where he's spending the entire night with a shotgun on his shoulder looking mm. out the window and watching just in case the T-1000 comes. And and he's there to protect John. And it's just it's unbelievable where, where he won't stop. He won't move. That's his mission. And, and it's it's incredible, really. So I, I thought he did great as a, as the protagonist in this one. Yeah, no, I agree. And I th- again, I think sort of like there's certain uh, tonal moments that are, you know that they play really well. And again, I think all characters in this have uh, all the well, at least the, all the protagonist characters have an arc um, mm-hmm. in this film that's really interesting. And they even give one to Arnie as the Terminator because they've obviously you know enabled him to learn, or he's supposed to be able to learn. 
Right. So he does become more human. So he does. Like you say you do have more empathy for him by the end of the by the end of the film because you do see him um, having emotional. Probably not the the right word, but he's having a <laughs> yeah. more emotional relationship with sure. um, with um, John and Sarah. Right. And probably the one with Sarah is probably a bit more of like grudging respect than than <laughs> you know friendship. But it, it it builds to that line at the end. Um, which could be could could have been like really cheesy again in the wrong hands. And I think you know what I'm building to is that thing of sort of says, uh, I now know why you cry. It's not you know it's something I can never do. Mm-hmm. But it's that like you say that understanding of like I now understand your emotions. I understand where you're coming from. Um, right. But it, and it is it's sort of like he has grown. Honestly, he's grown as a person. But you know, <laughs> as an entity, like he has grown. Like you say, he has become a protector. Sure. Um, one of the things that I, 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 this was a few years ago. There was a big thing, obviously, with the with the Transformers franchise. Yeah. And um, when you know they had uh, Bumblebee became the sort of like the breakout star of that, and with Shia LaBeouf, uh, and they were like, oh, it's a boy and his robot, and that sort of thing. It's amazing. <laughs> right, this is right. this is typical of the Transformers. And even then, <coughs> I was like, no, no, Term- Terminator Two's already covered this ground. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, and it is. It's a boy and his robot. It's the Iron Giant. It's you know, it is. It's that sort of thing. It's it's almost become a bit of a trope now. But it's... and, and to, I totally agree too. Because it, uh, just to interject real quick, is that you're right. It is a trope in some ways because you have action heroes protecting uh, innocent people or especially young children, right? Yeah. And I've seen that in a lot of things where it's like it's okay that they're killing bad guys because it's protecting the kid kind of thing. Yes. And and we know that. I mean, even go back to Commando with Arnold. Uh, he was <laughs> yeah. he was going he was going to save his daughter Alyssa Milano and. That's okay that he's murdering a whole army of bad guys because it's in the name of his kid, basically. You know, yeah. it's like, because you would do anything for your kid, I'm sure, you know, but it's one of those things where it's like a, a boy in his Terminator sort of thing, you know, and it's just one of those. Uh, if I could even draw parallels to to the comics films, uh, Ghost Rider mm. Spirit of Vengeance was mm. a movie that many people, that's the sequel of uh, with Nick Cage. There's a young child in the movie who, I mean, they make him Danny Ketch for some reason, whatever. It, it, that's, it is what it is. But they, there's a lot of fans say that that movie is really kind of in the same vein as Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Because you have this powerful entity who, first of all, wears a leather jacket and rides a bike, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's protecting a young kid. And it's okay that he's able to uh, beat the bad guys because he's doing it to protect the kid. You know what I mean? So it is a little bit of a trope, but I think T2 did it such a great way. You know what I mean? Uh, agreed. Totally agreed. I, I love it. I think it's so well done. And the relationship between the, uh, Arnie and Ed Furlong in this film is 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 really masterfully done. And it, yeah. it's, it's really touching. Like, you know, it feels... Um, that you know, so when when uh, Arnie as a Terminator has to sacrifice himself at the end, like you know, you right. feel like you said he's a robot. Like I shouldn't <laughs> feel this, but you do. You are sort of like going, oh my god, this is. I'm getting a lump in my throat thinking about that. It's, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Exactly. Many many tough guys suddenly had a little bit of a little bit of yeah. in their eye at that point. You know, it's uh, maybe something was raining on their face. Who knows? It's a uh, yeah. It's, That's right. They, yeah. They, Popcorn they were, just got me eye. That was it. it was of, of course, <laughs> you know, and it's so sad because it's like. I mean, from a character standpoint, that's all Sarah Connor wanted anyway, was basically mm. to ki- to kill this Terminator when she first met him. And in some weird way, she kind of got her wish by the end of it. But now, instead of uh, being uh, grateful for it, now it breaks her heart to do so. Because look at how John's reacting. 
You know what I mean? So mm. she's the one. She has to press the button. He can't self-terminate, you know? So she's pressing the button to lower him in. And it's it's heartbreaking for her. Which, Meanwhile, two hours early in the film, she would have done it in a second and a half. You know? Yeah, which is almost a, she's almost. I think that's almost a reason. Another reason why that other scene should have been kept in because it's that, yeah. it is it's that sort of like juxtaposition of right her right. her transition from happily smashing his CPU with a with a with a lump hammer to that's right that's right you know not wanting to kill him and sort of like have struggling to do it. <clears throat> that, that's the other we talked about her you know the story her story arc is bizarre that it almost follows the Terminators in, to an extent as well mm-hmm. in that. She's almost like disconnected herself from society and 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 things. So her hers is almost a, a more humanizing, you know, redemptive story as well. Sure. Um, I don't know what your, what your thoughts are on that. Well, during the course of this movie, she kind of becomes a Terminator. You know, mm. it's there's a sequence where once she has the nuclear nightmare in the desert. Remember, it's the duality, right? At that moment, mm. so she's thinking of of trying to change the future and reset it. To kill one man, Miles Dyson, the guy who was responsible for Skynet, uh, to, to save the future, to save billions, it's worth it to her because everyone she sees is basically dead anyway, right? And it's the duality of, at the same time, you know, Skynet is trying to intercept and and uh, ensure their future by uh, by killing John. And so it's like, the, it, in going back in time. So it's this weird duality where if Skynet can go back to ensure their future, Sarah's going to try to prevent it. And it's this weird kind of split in time where it's like you could really go one way or the other. So mm. she goes off, she puts on the glasses, and she gets her weaponry, and she is a Terminator. In fact, one of her weapons has a laser sighting on it, and it's like it's in a way oh, that's yeah. like it's like Arnie from the first one with the with yeah. the, the laser pistol. It's like she now has become disconnected, but she doesn't do it, and that's what's the most important part. She stops herself from doing it. And and she almost is going to pull the trigger, but the guy's got a family. She realizes that it's not the right thing to do, and she stops yeah. herself. And and that's what makes her such a powerful character. When who knows what anyone else would have done in that situation? So it, it's it's really astounding how well that scene works. You know? Yeah. Again, you're right because I think I never thought about that. Like her uh, putting on the sunglasses and stuff. It's and you know that thing of like falling into almost like Punisher mode, like that Terminator. Definitely. Um, and I, I do love that scene, like I say, when she attacks the Dyson home and she's shooting it up and then like she drops one gun, picks up the net. And it, it almost goes back to, as you said before, like in the first film, that like there's no wasted movement. It's just like drop the gun, pick up the next gun, keep firing. Right. Um, and it's when she breaks in and, and Miles Dyson's son is like lying over him to protect his own father. Mm-hmm. And she starts to sort of like have that, you know, she breaks down and luckily like John and, and you know, the T-800 turn up to sort of stop her. Right. Um. Yeah, it is. It's it's uh, she it is it's an emotional roller coaster because, like, say for her, she's like, look, I can kill this one guy. I could save billions of lives. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, but just that one, just pulling the trigger on that one person becomes incredibly difficult when you're sort of in the moment. Um, right. Because so, at the end yeah. of the day, Scott, it's I mean, these movies. I mean, people might not fully understand why we might appreciate these movies but they're not about the robots really i mean it it's, no. it's mostly it's mostly about humanity and what makes us human versus what makes us cold and almost machine like and it's that's what i think is really cool about the, the these films not to like uh oversell what these films are about but it's yes are there cool robot fights and laser guns yeah you know and that's awesome and that's great but there's also a great human component that's super compelling it's one of the reasons why these movies 
did so well at the box office. I mean, mm. they tore the house down box office wise. So it's it's not just explosions. It's like it, there's heart there, you know. Yes, I agree. Because and this this is the first one of the things that drives me nuts in in modern films. Um, that seems to be a bit of a thing at the moment, and I'm trying to think. There were some examples I watched recently that just drove me mad. Is is undercutting? Um, uh, it, in fact, it chapter two is a really mm-hmm. good example of this, of using humour inappropriately to undercut tension or mm-hmm. horror or suspense or something like that. You know, they'll go, okay, well you've had your, you've had your scare. Now it's a joke. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, yeah. It, or even you know, I'll even go as far as like Thor Ragnarok. That, right. Yeah, it's a great film. It's good fun, but the whole film is about the death of hundreds of people on Asgard, and yet <laughs> there's still loads of jokes at the end. And you're a bit like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm getting the tone of this. Um, <laughs> but in this, there are jokes, like there is humour in it. Yeah. But again, it's well paced. It's well timed. You know, like even at the end, um, Arnie gets to make some jokes. Like the Asta La Vista baby. You know, um, so the T one thousand gets coated in in liquid liquid nitrogen and is frozen. Yeah. So him using a one line of Asta La Vista baby and shooting him and, and shattering him, it, it it should be cheesy as balls, like and it it is to an extent, but it's yeah. it's still a sort of like a fist pumping yes moment. <laughs> right. Um, and it, and at the end of it, like you know, you say the T one T eight hundred takes an absolute battering and from at the hands of the T one thousand. And he still comes back for that heroic moment. And then John's like, you know, you look like shit. And he says, I need a vacation. <laughs> and it, it, again, like, it could be stupid, but the timing of it is perfect. And it's not lingered <coughs> on. It's just a da-dum, move on. And then it right. still gets to that emotional beat at the end. And I just think it's, again, it's that thing of, like, knowing what uh, what buttons to press at what time. So, sure. okay, here's suspense. Here's comedy. Here's, you know, empathy. Here's right, horror. Right. Da, da, da. And... I think Jim Cameron does it brilliantly in these first two films. Absolutely, Absolutely. masterfully. Yep. Totally agree. Yep. Um, so that, I mean, that's Terminator 2, really. I mean, it, it's, it's you know, it, the, as a final round out, uh, what would you say sort of as, as from Terminator 2? I mean, I'm assuming it's a recommend, it's something you'd obviously tell people to watch, but what, what are your final thoughts on Terminator 2 before we move on? Yeah, it, it's a high recommend because, I mean, the movie, it stands the test of time, and that's not just even talking about the... Uh, special effects and the visuals, which I, I do really think that those those effects are fantastic with the T one thousand. But mm. but they're used so. This is what's interesting, Scott. Right? It's used so sparingly that I think in our minds things we must think that there's much more CG than there was. But mm. it's just clever editing, clever cutting, um, and and using all sorts of every trick in the book. Cameron used he used rear projection for the the car chases a, a lot of times, which. When you were so caught up in the moment, you don't realize that that's such an old filmmaking technique where they're mm. just, you know, showing a, a car chase image in the background that's moving, and you're just drawing on the characters. So it's they use every trick in the book. And I mean, Stan Winston, he killed it in this one because yes. his studio, with from the robot designs that the endoskeletons to everything you can imagine, is it's so well done. Just think of the scene where Arnie comes into Miles Dyson's house. I was going to say, the, yeah, I was going to say, it's he, such right, a, yeah. yeah. He has little Danny uh, Dyson go in the other room, and and he peels off uh, his his skin to show the arm. And even just as a visual, it's great. But then think of it as an emotional. This is Miles Dyson is aware of the other endo arm mm. that he's been working at. They've been reverse engineering the whole time. So the fact that he sees that, boom! It's not just oh, it's a guy with a prosthetic arm. It's like 
this is an endoskeleton. This is a yeah. basically a Terminator. And even though he doesn't know what they're called, but it's like, wow, this is this is heavy, <laughs> as yeah. Marty McFly would say. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's it's unbelievable. The movie is a high recommend. That there's there's a lot to unpack with it. There's uh, it's, I think it's the reason why it's held in such high regard. It's a great film. It really is. And then Brad Fidel's score. We haven't even talked about that yet. No. The mu- the music yeah. is astounding. It's like from part one, a little more machine-like, but Fidel did the music on that one too. And this is like, I can't see that opening scene without uh, getting a tear in my eye. It's, it's yeah. this, the musical, the orchestral scene, and it's just, it just really, really well done uh, with the flames and the whole nuclear holocaust. It's, it's horrifying, but it's also contrasted with this humanistic story of, of no fate and uh, but what we make for ourselves and survival and stuff like that. It's really powerful. No, I, I agree. I, I think I like the idea you said about this one being more hopeful. Um, and, and really, when you go back to the first one, it's it's quite sort of um, deterministic, really, in that sense that, oh, no, you you know, knowing that it was Skynet, but, uh, sorry, it was Cyberdyne, but it is, it's mm-hmm. a fixed loop. You know, you know it's like everything they've done has, has happened before or, and will happen again sort of thing, if you think about the loop. Um, right. you know, it's, it's quite to me, but this one actually sort of breaks out of that loop and says, actually, no, there was, there's an opportunity for you to change the future and, right. you know, your, your future isn't set and actually you can, you know, you can make decisions and you can do things to make things better. And I think it is, it's a really sort of weirdly positive film. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but like I say, but again, it's, it's played so well, like the special effects are fantastic. The casting is again, spot on, um, it, it, and again, things like you say are used sparingly. Like you know, they, they I think Jim Cameron knows that uh, you know the T one thousand special effects are good, but they would they only need a certain amount of time on screen. Like they would wear quickly, right. um, and so he uses them in the best possible way. Like humor's well placed, but it's it's never used to undercut a moment. Like the, the whole thing is just it is. It's a masterclass in um, how to do. Uh, heartfelt blockbuster cinema that I right. I don't right. think you know we get every now and then but even within the, I, I'm a big fan of the MCU like you know I, I will mm-hmm. you know I, I love most of them but nothing I still don't think many of those could stand up to or will or, or many of those will stand up to the standard of Terminator 2 20 odd years down the line do you know what I mean so agreed yep totally agree yep so we've talked about Terminator One and Terminator Two, which we both agreed are, you know, incredibly good films. And you know, it could have been the end. That was it. I mean, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about is in the extended edition, um, there is actually an alternate ending. As you say, the first, the theatrical version is open ended. It's them leaving um, the steelworks, and she is uh, an over a voiceover from Sarah Connor. Yep. About the the road being open to her. In an alternate version, there is a skip to 2029, and we get to see an old Sarah Connor um, at, a, at the playground, the where she had the the um, uh, atomic nightmare, nuclear <laughs> nightmare, and you get to see the guy who played John Connor in the in the flash forwards and stuff during the film as a sort of a different person with children and all this other stuff. And it's quite again, it's, it meets that hopeful thing, but it was supposed to, I think, clearly supposed to draw a line under it. And they've put right. money into it. Like these guys are wearing like futuristic-ish costumes, and they've aged up Sarah Connor and that sort of thing. So the the choice not to use it is interesting, but it clearly shows that there was a thing of like, no, 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 we want the open ending because there might be more money in this. Um, so 
Um, so I don't know it, uh, if listeners are aware of the scene because it, it's somewhat hard to find in some ways. It's not in all the versions of the film. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, with my very first Terminator DVD for T2. Uh, it was the T2 Ultimate Edition, they called it. Yes. And you had to, you could watch the theatrical cut or the special edition, right? Now, yeah. uh, to get to this ending we're speaking of, which is a hopeful flash forward to 2029 when everything is hunky-dory. Everything mm-hmm. is beautiful and John Connor's a senator and Sarah Connor's 100 years old and everything's great. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, you know, you had to actually input the date of Judgment Day into the DVD yes. remote to access it. So it's a little bit of an Easter egg, which I miss so desperately in many DVDs nowadays and Blu-rays, yeah. but that's beside the point. Uh it was a little bit of a hurdle to get to it. And once you do, um, yeah, it's a sequence. Do you want to describe a little bit more what the sequence is about? It's based, it's very short, but it's like, it what is, is it? It's, it yeah. It's literally just uh, Sarah Connor sat on a bench. Um, it, it, it sort of mirrors what she did in the fir- at the end of the first film. It's her sort of, uh, create. I think it's creating a tape, or it might be a, a voiceover. Right, right. But it's her sort of sat on a bench at at the park in the future. She was obviously there for the holo- the atomic holocaust, and she's watching all these children play. John Connor playing with with his daughter, and she's relaying how she still has this memory of these things from a future that never happened. Right, like right. She, and but how like she's like okay, well they happened, but they didn't. We were able to change that future. And now John, instead of being the leader of the resistance, is leading from the floor and using sort of like compassion and common sense and all this other stuff. And right, it, it's it is a very hopeful and sort of you know it's a very happy ending. But having watched it, I, I did watch it. I watched the sort of the ultimate edition recently. Put the code in and I watched it for this just for, for this. And it doesn't fit. Is is it's a nice ending, but I don't think it fits mm-hmm. because of. That idea of sort of like the, the intent of the film, from from my perspective, is that it says that oh the future is isn't written is what she actually right. says. But that film by showing us that happy ending sort of says no it is and it's now a happy ending. So it's yeah. sort of <laughs> so I prefer not to see it. It's it's worth tracking down if you can see it just to sort of for completionists. But sure, yeah. What about your what are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting. It's definitely uh, it would have finished the series. That's for darn sure. Yeah, uh, because, that may not be a bad it, thing. Yeah, yeah, right. It flash forwards to, to the uh, to the future. Uh, it's a little less ambiguous, you know. Yeah, and the, I think the ambiguous ending is the way to go. Uh, but you know, it's a little more definitive. It's saying yes, we did the right thing. We ended the future, and and some sci-fi fans would go, well, that's ridiculous because. The future is in flux. Like it's, mm. you had to have had Judgment Day happen in order for all these movies to happen. Unless you're look, talking about timelines branching off and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't work on a lot of levels. But the main thing that people complain about is, my, and my friends especially, is the um, the elderly makeup that they put on Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't fully work, and it's tough to do that. But you know, it it kind of doesn't work. And Cameron actually had a comment about that. He said. That he realizes the trick to that kind of a sequence is you really kind of need to show a character. If you want to show them different stages of their life, you can do that. But you kind of need to open the film with them being an older person already. Mm. And then you, then you can jump back to them being young. Now, I, I'm referencing a Cameron movie that came out a few years later. Mm. Titanic. Yes. Uh, Rose and Titanic, you know, you see her as an, as an older woman who's had a full life. And then you jump back to her as a young woman. And then it's bookended by another scene with her. As, as an older lady, you know, and, and that's the really the, the heart of, the, of that film, you know, and that's a Cameron 
mm. trope, you know. It, now, he realizes that didn't really work for Sarah because we never saw her as an old lady. You know, we saw yes. her as, as this badass soldier and everything, and suddenly you jump forward and she's she's an old lady. So if you're going to pull off the trick of jumping different parts of someone's life, you got to tease, at the very least, them at that stage of life at the beginning, which wouldn't yeah. have worked for Terminator 2 anyway, but he yeah. says that was yeah. the big flaw of that scene. So he was glad it was ambiguous, you know. So I have to admit, the, the first time I saw it, um, the first time I saw this, and again, it was on the it was actually on the Ultimate Edition of the DVD. I've now got the Blu-ray, but sure was was the, I remember watching it and, and they it pans around and you get to see um, the John Connor grown up and he's got he's playing with his kids or whatever and right, right. it pans up and you see like the skyline of future Los Angeles. Right. I was convinced that you were going to see a flash and a nuclear cloud. Wow. <laughs> That was I was I was like that that's how that's how like that's how out of tone I felt that it was I was like oh, this is ridiculous clearly that we we're gonna, I'm going to see Judgment Day and that's what I was hoping for and that's what I was expecting and when it didn't come I was like oh well that was uh, that that was that was a waste of time but yeah <laughs> that would have been a gut punch huh Scott you know it's like that, a, it's, it's a happy future dead <laughs> yeah that seriously like that would have felt more in line with that sort of like deterministic fit maybe that's just me maybe i'm just sort of that cynical you're a dark um, fellow my friend yeah <laughs> <laughs> but so that's terminator 2 i agree i think it's a fantastic film i highly recommend it and anyone who just thinks oh it's a sort of it's an action it's an arnie action film really yeah. needs to go back and experience it because it's right, well right. worth doing they've recently uh you know done the 4k edition where they've sort of gone over and done a lot of things for the theatrical version Sure. I, I saw it in the in, in on uh, on the the big screen um, when they did the re-release. Awesome! I highly recommend it. So yeah, yep. Um, but jumping forward, we get uh, in two thousand and three, we get Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines, uh, starring mm-hmm. again Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, as uh, the T eight hundred yet again. Uh, Nick Stoll coming in as John Connor, Kristan or Kristana Loken as the T X. Uh, Claire Danes as I've forgotten her character's name um, Kate Brewster Kate Brewster, thank you um, directed by Jonathan Mostow written by uh, Michael Farris and uh, John Brocato mm-hmm. um, initial thoughts on Terminator 3 so this movie is it kind of came out when it was like the perfect time for me as a Terminator fan because I was mm. had really I was, I was in school I was uh, studying film more and kind of learning about uh directing and editing techniques and stuff like that so i mean as a film fan like i was just into a lot of movies anyway so so when i heard about the terminator 3 coming out i was equally parts excited and and nervous because there wasn't a whole lot that i I thought they could do to move the story forward without me getting like upset right because Mm -hmm. if you're going to tell a sequel to terminator 2 one of the one of the greatest sequels i think that's ever been made it's you're gonna piss off a lot of fans. You, mm. Whatever you decide to do, whether it's uh, moving the story forward in one way or another, especially trying to get cast back together, that's always an issue. Especially it's been so many years have passed. Was Arnie gonna come back? For example, they weren't exactly sure what was gonna happen. Um, so it came out. I was like a diehard Terminator fan, and then I gave it a fair chance when it came out. And this might be uh, a slightly controversial opinion between me and some of the other fans, but I actually like this one. <laughs> which is surprising for a lot of people because um, it's essentially a big rehash of part two, right? There's yes. there's a lot of story elements that are taken directly from it. And 
it's not it, it's very derivative in, in a lot of regards where it was you know you have a protector you have john and you have an evil terminator out to get him who has similar abilities kind of you know they have a son of a polymimetic skin they can change mm-hmm. their appearance and stuff so there's a lot of things that don't work for this um their attempts at humor you mentioned that a little earlier right mm. the attempts at humor kind of fall flat or, or are groan inducing uh, inappropriate clothing uh, is a is a thing that comes up on his screen when he sees a woman at the bar. Inappropriate clothing. Uh, that's one of the little attempts at humor. Um, talk to the hand. The sunglasses Ugh. that are funny. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that really pisses off fans through and through. But for me, what saves this movie is partly is some of the acting because people mm-hmm. like Claire Danes. She's not an action star. I'm not a like diehard fan of hers. But in rewatching it, seeing her reaction she's kind of the audience you know she's sort of like the outsider being like what's going on here what this is crazy i don't believe any of this stuff so she's she did a pretty damn good job in my opinion so the acting i think is pretty good for most part but what saves this for me is the ending is the yes. fact that they and i don't know if we're talking spoilers it's it's came no, out yeah, three, full but, spoiler. yeah i've already put um, the we are talking spoilers it, it's the ending where they actually have judgment day start yes. and I think that is the way it's done. I think it, the positive that way, the negative in, in my mind as a fan, which might be controversial because I know a lot of my friends said, this is the biggest piece of garbage in history. It's terrible, this and that. So for me, uh, I actually don't mind Terminator 3 as an entry in the series. And and, and, and if everything had ended at, as a Terminator trilogy, I would have been just fine. I would have been happy with that. You know mm. what I mean? So um, that's my... First take on it. It's a little bit lengthy, but uh, what what do you think about it? Like it, hate it, in between. It's. I know where you're coming from, um, and there was a time when I was, I would say, dead against this film. That I was one of those people that was like, "What did they do? Like this is the worst, you know, junk." Um, derivative nonsense they could have done, and I, I was like, and, yeah, to the extent of I actually remember seeing this in the cinema and then not mm-hmm. buying it on DVD or anything. I was like, no, <laughs> I am, you know, like you say, this is this is just uh, the first two, sure. um, you know, that sort of thing. And then after a while, I was like, oh, maybe I should go back and watch that. <laughs> you know, I, I was a bit, you know, it was a very sort of instant reaction. Let's go back and watch it, and I did. And I have watched it several times since, and I obviously watched it recently, and. I do feel I have softened on it, um, but I think I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head when you said that the humour in this is groan-inducing. Yeah, um, and that's my biggest problem with it. Because again, like some of the action in this is like really good. It's really solid. Like that fight, the, the third act in this is actually pretty solid. Like there's there's yeah. not much I can fault it for. Yeah. Uh, and that the ending, you know, that sort of like the actual payoff is is really interesting that they go there. Um, mm. But it's sort of like that thing of like they keep doing things that I'm a bit like that's like head scratching to me. Um, <laughs> that and they give character choice like where there's two things I've tried to hammer home for the first two mm-hmm. is the the um, well thought out nature of the world like everything that's happened was well thought out like everything right. from Arnie losing his eyebrows in the first film because they were burnt off which is you know it's a minuscule minuscule detail that. You probably don't notice, but they did it. And the same for like yeah. Terminator 2. There's things in there that you go, right, that's a really small detail, but it's thought out. Like, you know, they try to minimize those plot holes. Yeah. In this, there's moments where they just, they must have just shrugged their shoulders and gone, eh, no one will notice. 
No one's thinking about it. I wouldn't worry about it. Like the, for, the, and again, like you say, uh, and you might be able to be... You, there may even be things that you can explain to me in this, but, um, you know, there's things... It's, it's just about... Um, I, I I get that they're trying to hit some of the same beats as well as the, as the previous film. So, like you say, I find that the first one, again, is, is deterministic. The second one's more about the fact you can change your fate... Mm-hmm. This one is about that actually no fate again sort of gets back on that deterministic sort of view of the first one of like right, you know right. no 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 whatever's going to happen is going to happen totally um, yeah. and I get that they're trying to do that but again it's almost like with a sledgehammer you know Mike mm-hmm. Kripke Mike Kripke's basement basement is, was a, was a was an in joke between me and some friends where you just sort of like you know <laughs> when something was being like done handled badly in a film they're like it's Mike Kripke's basement. <laughs> And that line got the actors to crack up because they had to say that so often, allegedly, yeah. you know, that they were saying that they were they they had so many things that they messed up so many takes because they were saying Mike Kripsky's basement and they're laughing. Yeah. They're like, oh my god, enough already with Mike Kripsky's basement because it's a tough thing to say repeatedly yeah, yeah. in a in a dialogue scene. But yeah, it was my goodness gracious, yeah. So, uh, but is this this notion that, that you know the day before the events of Terminator Two, mm-hmm. um, John Connor made out with. Um, Kate Brewster in a, in, a, yep. in a closet somewhere in Mike Kripke's basement, <laughs> and um, and and then the sort of and then he he has to explain it. So they give like uh, Nick Stoll this sort of this line where he's like, "Oh, we're supposed to be together. Ten yeah. years ago we were together, and now this." And even she's like, "What are you fucking talking about?" <laughs> I am your density. Yeah, it, it is. It's totally that. And there's a moment where you are just like. I I'm not buying this. I'm sorry. I'm I'm you know, um, and so that 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 it that's where I'm a bit like oh it's a bit heavy handed the right the the sort of the nuances that were brought to the first two films that sort of that delicate touch because um, you're dealing with something quite complex with with tra- you know, time travel and, and and you know that sort of thing right it's gone and so you have to lean into other things and do I enjoy the bits and pieces sure um, so yeah you know it, it's I, I have softened on it, but I still feel there are real issues with this film. <laughs> Absolutely, it, it's a divisive movie. It it it, it, caught, it it kind of plays fast and loose with some of the things that we've known and loved about the series. And for many fans, that's too much. And I could totally mm-hmm. agree with that because I mean, think of the Star Wars franchise. You know, you have a whole swath of fans who flat out will not see anything else after the Last Jedi because they were so hurt by it. And mm. then you have other fans saying it was the best movie in the series. You're crazy. So. You have these other fans kind of falling on one side or another, and I understand that more fans are uh, upset at what T3 tried to do, and uh, maybe I'm, I'm a little too, I give it too much of a bend for the doubt, because it, it does have a lot of problems. Is John Connor, was he 10 years old, or was he 13 when the Terminator uh, come, came back for him? We yeah. don't know, because it, it, it was always thought that he was uh, around 10 years old, because it was essentially 10 years after the events of Part 1. But now he's saying he's 13. So, like, what's the deal? So, like, if you were going to be, be nitpicky, there's a lot that doesn't make sense. Is Arnie a T-101 or is he a T-800 model 101? Yeah. Or is he a T-8 or is he a T-850? Whatever you call him. So, it's like they they play fast and loose with some of the specifics that fans gripe over. Like, And that's frustrating, you know? Well, uh, what I will say is, uh, one of the things is, is, so let's let's address it here and now. So, John Connor's age is a bit of a problem. <laughs> So, in this he was saying he was 13. However, right. the first film takes place in May 1984. 
That's right. All right. So he was conceived on, uh, if I check right, if I remember right, then the fourteenth uh, or fifteenth of May, nineteen eighty-four. Impressive. So, yeah. Is that? Do you know, Joanne? You know, it's on her checking in card. So you know, she clocks in. That's right. Um, to the diet, the dates on that. So I've, I've just, it, I went back and checked because this was what was bothering me. So let's say he's born. Um, so you got May. So you got you know. Uh, uh, April, so you got May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February. So he's born February eighty-five. Yep. Right. Add thirteen years to that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Judgment Day has already happened. Yeah. <laughs> he's dead. So, 30, so yeah, so thirteen doesn't quite work. Right. So even so, he has to be around ten or eleven, and because Eddie, Eddie Furlong was thirteen, right? Is that that's probably why they that's were what? Yes, Ed Furlong, yeah, Edward Furlong was yeah. thirteen when they filmed, but yeah, uh, it's just it's just the moment they said he was thirteen in this, I was sort of like just doing the quick math in my head, and I was like, I've got to go back and check this, and, and that's yeah. the first minute of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's the first one of the first things they <laughs> the say. You're minute. just like, Ugh. so. Yeah, you're not off on a good start. I mean, to give a quick overview of the plot, so John, John Connor, after the events of Terminator 2, John Connor went off with Sarah Connor and they they lived on the road. Um, again, going back to that sort of guerrilla lifestyle, living off the, off the grid. Uh, it turns out that uh, sometime later, after the what would have been the date of Judgment Day, Sarah Connor dies of leukemia, leaving John alone uh, yep. to move from job to job uh, around the country. Uh, eventually, they're coming back to Los Angeles uh, again, um, he is tracked down, and two new figures are sent back in time. The first, a T eight hundred, possibly, uh, is sent back again as a protector, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, the second is a TX, which is a sort of a combination of a, a, a an endoskeleton and a T one thousand mimetic skin, or whatever is liquid metal skin, um, is sent to kill him. And no, well, not him, actually, because he's off the grid. It turns out she, this thing has been sent back to kill uh, his lieutenants, a list mm-hmm. of people that would have supported John Connor during the resistance. One of those being Kate Brewster, who happens to work at a vet where John Connor goes to get medical attention uh, after uh, a, a motorbike accident. And then they go on the road and eventually Judgment Day happens. I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just the coincidences of this because um, yeah. just to call out two more from the, the opening of the film is again so there's the uh, John Connor has a motorbike accident and he sort of breaks into a vet to get some medication bandages and that sort of thing um, and then the, 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 he comes across well, Kate Brewster you know finds that she's got an alarm that says the vet the vets has been broken into so she goes there and finds him there then the TX turns up uh, having killed some of the people um, to attack them I'm and again I might be completely wrong. I'm never entirely sure how she figures out that there's someone there, but I'm sure she's because she's able to log in. Like literally, she's able to sort of interface with computers. There must have been mm-hmm. a way. She may have seen the alarm. Okay, I can buy some sort of like you know snap logic <laughs> on that. How though does the T800 know they're there to then turn up in time and literally drive a truck into the TX? <laughs> Is that rhetorical, or are we? I, we I don't know. I don't know. I, I tell you what, I'm putting it out there as an open question. Let's see. If, uh, you may have an answer for me because I'd love to put it to the director as well because I haven't got a clue. Like, I rewound it and I was like, I, m- I must have missed something. Like there must be a deleted scene or something. I don't know. No, I don't think you missed anything. I mean, I, possibly the only thing I could imagine is that the T850 was basically reprogrammed by Kate in the mm. future. 
So she probably was like, listen, on July 4th, 2003, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be at Emory Veterinarian's Hospital at uh, like 2 in the morning. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I, I'm sure it, it's, it's relevant enough that it's somewhat plausible, but it's not great because he just kind of shows up. It's just like, boom, he's there and it's like... Yeah. He says his line, you know, this and that. But that's the only thing I can think of, you know? Yeah. L- literally, though, a drop line later in the film could have solved that. Because eventually, like, the, the T-800 does say, I'm not, I don't follow your orders, I follow hers. And, right. you know, they explain that in the future, like, Kate Bruce has become his wife and she's sort of like his second lieutenant kind of thing. Correct, yeah. Um, If he, if they could have, because John Connor could have said, how did you know we were at the vets? And she, he could have right, like, right. been like, she told me. And you'd be like, oh, all right, fair <laughs> enough, I'll... I'm I'm happy with that. That's fine. I I think this movie struggles because of a couple. This is the most frustrating part, right? Is that there are lines that could have helped the movie, and if they had taken out one sentence, it would have helped the movie. And that's yeah. what's the most frustrating part is that very easily could the movie actually the stock had would have risen. For example, we debated the ten years old versus thirteen year olds line mm. at the start of the movie. Would it have been really hard for him to go? When I was a kid, they tried yeah. to kill me. Move so, on, yeah, yeah. boom. Instead yeah. of, I was 13. No, it's like, because you know the diehard fans, which there are plenty of, are going to go, that's ridiculous. I'm clocking out. I'm one minute into this movie, and I'm clocking out because you don't respect the mythology. So some fans would would freaking do that, you know? So it's like, by either, like you, to your point, adding a line or removing one line could actually increase the quality of the movie. So it's it's that's really frustrating because it's preventable. You know, mm. you could have taken out stuff that caused problems and just been had a slightly better movie. I'm not saying it would have been as brilliant as T2, but it would have been a better movie. It'd have been more consistent, and it'd have been it would have been less. Like you say, I'd have been able to poke holes in it less. But I mean, I, I'll be honest. This this, this, this early 2000s is a period of um, these franchises starting to get. You know, they get some sort of. They tried to give them retraction. I think you get like Terminator Three. Uh, the similar time you get in like uh, Alien versus Predator, right. um, that sort of thing. And but the problem is, I've recently reviewed. Um, obviously, you've heard it. You know, we, we we review the AVP films, all the Predator films, right? And when you get to like AVP and AVP Requiem, it's the same problem. Mm-hmm. Where it's clear they've gone. Oh, we haven't done much with these. These uh, these IPs are, are sitting on the shelf doing nothing. Here you go, do something. Right. And the people that have made the films. You know, I don't give a f- I don't give a shit what they say in their press releases and all this other stuff of like, oh no, I was a true fan and I was a big, you know, oh, it made such an impact on me as a kid. You're like, but you clearly haven't watched them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the same. So you know, the people that made AVP and, and, and Requiem, oh, massive on Predator and I was huge on Alien or oh, Ridley Scott and da da da. And you go, yeah, but you've completely like fucked the canon. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. What what have you done? It's the same with. T three, like you say, someone going over this script who just sat and watched the first two films and then just gone, yeah, remove that, maybe change that, go back and do this, like tighten this up, it it, it would make it a good forty percent better. <laughs> That's a good amount. Yeah, I'd say that. There's, there's, there's still other bits that you can't fix, but um, yeah. Now, can I? I want I want to hear your thoughts on uh, the fate of Sarah Connor in this one. Uh, I was. It's one of the things I'm all right with. It, I, again, I think when I first watched it, by the time it got to that point in the film, I was so pissed off that I was like another thing. Um, 
you know, where you, that she's just written out. But then you sort of when when he actually says, um, actually she was diagnosed and she just held on to right. get through August twenty ninth, nineteen ninety seven, and and this thing's like, actually I'm fine with that because that mm-hmm. sounds like the character. Right. Like she fought through illness to survive that, mm-hmm. and only after that could she feel like she could pass that. I was that was fine. I agree. Yep. Finding out that she had a will that allowed that sort of suggested she have a coffin filled with guns placed in a in a public cemetery. That I'm less that I'm less happy with. <laughs> I mean, that's in my will. I don't know about you. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know it, whether it does, it's... it does sound like her though. I mean, if mm. you know what you know what's funny about that scene is that. Leading up to that scene, I was dreading it, right? I'm like, oh, man. It's like we know Linda couldn't come back for this one. She wasn't happy with the script or whatever it was. So I'm sure they had to rewrite some stuff. So the whole time I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is going to crap on, like, this great character in, in movie history. Oh, what are they going to do? I was I was really dreading this sequence. And when it got to it, and I wasn't like, I didn't search out any previews or find out what was going to happen. And when I heard it, it actually hit me like a ton of bricks finding out, that, oh, she wasn't just like in a car accident or something like that. This was mm. she. She had a disease that none of us can control. That st- that kind of stuff in our lives, you know. And it's in a weird way, it's this tragic, horrible thing to this person who was obviously the mother of the future, basically. And she did the best that she could to to raise John. But I found it so sad to find out that was what had happened to what. That's what did her in. It wasn't like a, a machine. It was something that we can't control. And in a weird way, that kind of scene was emotionally resonant for me. For some strange reason, I was like, wow, okay. And then hearing John describe it being like, yeah, you know, we, we were, you know, I left the day she died. I couldn't handle it. So he's obviously in a bad place in, the, in this mm. movie. He's not the leader we expect him to, do, to be. And that's what, another thing fans hate. But by the end, he's, he's accepted that leadership role. Um, but that sequence with, with the whole Sarah's passing and, and putting a stockpile of weapons just to keep her son safe, in some bizarre way, I actually thought it was pretty good, believe it or not. But it's funny, but that's that's interesting, you know? Yeah. No, again, I say, the way she... Ha- it, it does sound Sarah Connor. Like, yeah, I'd accept that she's done that. But mm-hmm. like you say, I'm still confused as to sort of the practicalities. <laughs> like, well, firstly, all right, fine. This is, you know, you know you're American. I'm sure, you know, you could probably have access to that kind of weaponry quite easily, it sounds. But... How did you then get that into a coffin and then go? Someone when you're putting in, you go, it's a bit heavy. This isn't. What was? What was? Wasn't she quite small? Yeah, don't worry about that. Just just put it in. It's, it's very metallic. What? There's there's a metallic noise in there. Oh yeah, she's uh, wearing a lot of jewellery. I don't know. It's it. The machine. I'm not going to question. It's uh, uh it is. It's like watching those films. And you just go roll on. Okay, I'm happy with that. It's fine. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to worry about it. Um. It is. It's fine, and there's there's bits in this film that are like that. That it just keeps sort of like you know, it thinks it's funnier than it is. Um, um, and uh, if I'm perfectly honest, the 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 problem I have, the biggest problem I have with this film that Mm -hmm. we've sort of mentioned in the the first two, the first two are journey movies, like you know, the first one's a chase film, like it goes and then it's off, and then the second film's similar, but it stops to have that. that sort of heartfelt, you know, character building time where you sort of get to yeah. know them and the interrelationships. Right. This one sort of says, all right, well, we've got to have the first hour just so we can have the last half an hour. Right. And that's what it feels like. Everything up until the, so like that whole first hour mm-hmm. feel, feels weirdly like filler. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's, it, like, there's there's bits in that film like you see that the TX is is there to to kill um, <coughs> the, the lieutenants rather than John and that sort of thing. And I actually quite right. like the idea of that. Again, good a good concept. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of kills that are played out, and you think, oh, that's actually quite a good. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Never comes up again though. It's like it's completely left to the side where they could have been right, like, yeah. oh, there's yeah. you know this is really impacting people's families. Like we've actually lost other people now. Um, of course, yeah. It's never addressed, and it, it it just feels like they sort of they throw out good ideas, but it's like that first hour is mm-hmm. like okay, well we've got to have a story there so that we can have them get to the military base, so that we can have Judgment Day. Right. That's and that's my problem with it a little bit. It feels like filler. Um, and again, does it feel like that they started with the end? Okay, so the end the end point was they knew they were going to take the chance, which I do give them credit for for doing the, the nuclear war. Um, because in a big Hollywood movie like that, you don't often see that kind of a intellectually uh, dark ending. You know what I mm. mean? Uh, even though there's mm. a little bit of hope in, in the future, it's extremely dark, right? Yes. But it, do you, I wonder if, and let me know what you think about this, if they said, this is where we're ending the movie. They're be, in their thought process, they're starting with the end. And they're going, okay, how can they get to the bunker? And then, the, and then they just filled in the gaps, which might explain why some parts just seem like, Here's 20 minutes of action, or here's 20 minutes of whatever, where it's just filler kind of thing. So I wonder if they kind of went backwards because they they knew where they had to go and they got there, and and some some of it worked and some of it did not work because it is a little bit of a stretch at times. But it's like it's almost like they they knew where they had to go and then they went backwards. You know, it's like oh, I, oh there's I, a part, I, yeah, yeah. So. I honestly think that's exactly what happened. I think they yeah. had a, white, a whiteboard with some with some sticky, um, you know, notepads, <laughs> and they've put them up and gone right. So we're going to end with Judgment Day, yeah, okay. And well, we've got to have John Connor there, and we can't have him alone. So he's got to right. have somebody. So we're going to we're going to create Kate Brewster. Fine, happy yep. with that. Arnie's yep. on. Is Arnie on board? Arnie's on board. Okay, so we're having the T eight hundred in it. Uh, is, right. Sa- is Sarah on board? We're not sure. Okay, well, let's put her in for now, and then yeah, we'll question fill it mark. In. Yeah, and uh, well, okay, well, we've never really, if we haven't got, um, you know, let's we've got to have, we haven't really had a female Terminator, have we? Okay, well, let's make the Terminator female this time. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good. It means we can make her boobs grow bigger every time she needs to. Oh, that's a good idea. Pop that in. It's you know, it's another. And I'm not, I'm not going to hab on about the sort of the sexism of this, right? Arnie in each of the films, like, it's it's always been random as far as I'm concerned, where. Right. The, the Terminator reappears in the past. Okay, that yep. that sort of makes sense to me. It's sort of a random selection. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in this one, the Arnie appears in a sort of like you know off a desert road, and he goes to a strip club, and that's sort of fine. Now again, I'm I'm not bothered by that. That's fine. The TX though, and it's sort of, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and again, it may just be that I was frustrated, and I still am frustrated with this film. But with sure. the TX, she appears in a London. <clears throat> not London, sorry, in a Los Angeles um, like s- street with shops and stuff. Yeah, and Beverly she, Hills, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she appears in a shop window, and mm. she's be- and you know, uh, with all these other clothes, and then walks off naked, fine, right? But she leaves a shop to go find clothes. <laughs> Even Kyle Reese knew to go into a shop <laughs> to find clothes, and he exists. So it's just a weird thing they've gone. Wouldn't it be really interesting? She's really pretty. I don't know if she's a model or what, but like you know, right, they right. have like Christina Loken appear, yep. and they go, yeah, she can appear in this window, like you know, like we're making some comment on beauty in in mm-hmm. Beverly Hills, right. and then she'll walk down the street naked and attack some woman to steal her car and her clothes, and you sort of go, 
Didn't she just leave uh, a shop window that had clothes in it? <laughs> I'm okay. Roll on, roll on. See, I'll, I'll see, keep moving on. The, the problem is you're, you're making you're making too much sense here. I think you need to stop using logic for this kind of thing. You know? <laughs> so uh, that's your problem, man. You're making you're being too rational here. Uh, you know, and and the frustrating thing about what you just said is they could have had her appear in any other kind of shop in Hollywood, which there's plenty without clothing. Yeah, and then it's still a stab, It's still a, an interesting scene. Yes, I get it. They have her walk across the street. It's the titillating scene. It's you know she's she's nude and this and that. And then but she's a killer. So that's one thing. Almost like right off the bat, that is kind of like more like T one than 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 T two. She's murdering the person for the clothing right off the yes. bat. You know, so so you know she's bad news. There's no doubt in your mind. There's no subtlety in this one at all. And that's another problem I think with this movie. It just in some ways it hits you over the head with a hammer. It's like it's not. There's no subtext. It's just boom, boom. Here we go. Here we go. And I like Kristina Loken. I thought her movements were eerie. She did mime coach for a lot of times. Mm. So I give her I give her credit for her her body movements and the way she holds her arm and and she's got almost like a sinister smile at times where it's like it doesn't make oh, sense. She's, no, yeah, but yeah. she's no, good. Yeah, she's great. And again, like yeah. she's bringing something interesting to the role. Like she she you know like we said, her movements are predatory. Like. She moves. Right. She stalks. Like she's, you know, her walk is very stalking, like, and and mm-hmm. you know, again, like she has certain movements that I think are really interesting. Like she's trying right, to do right. something with the character. Unfortunately, <laughs> everything else around her is 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 just fucking awful. I'm sorry, it just winds me up. So yeah, I I I, I don't blame her. I think she's actually very good in the role. And right. um, again, like they do something that's that's interesting. I didn't notice until this time. They do it twice. When at the end of it, and we'll get to the end actually, because I think that's the important bit. Is um, she gets like magnetized to a sort of like a, a hadron collider kind of thing? Which okay, they've yep. got one. I can understand that. There's almost like an element of fear in her eyes, mm-hmm. and they play that up of like you know she 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 panics and then she sort of like comes back, yeah, and right. manages to fight her way back. And then they bring that back again. They play it back in the very, very end uh, when mm-hmm. Arnie's about to defeat her and he puts his power cell right. into... Uh, I'm going to get to that in a minute. When he get, puts his power cell into her <laughs> mouth, like she looks... Te- like There's real shock on that. Like They play it with shock on her face. Yeah, right. And I, I kind of like that, that she's a bit like, oh, fuck, I've been beaten. So yeah. I, I don't blame her. I think they, she's very good. I think Arnie's actually quite good in this. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, sort of... and, and real quick to your point about uh, brief emotional uh, scenes with their their faces. I mean, uh, it's true when you see a movie uh, and TV shows, uh, close ups make make them worth watching because mm-hmm. you see the you see the facial features and you see the eyes and 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 even though these are machines, they're not supposed to be emoting at all. The brief scenes where these characters throughout the three movies have given emotion is almost like has almost become kind of famous. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. part in T two we both remember. Where they go down into a weapons bunker down uh, in the desert, yes. and Arnie picks up a big a Gatling gun, and a little smile comes on his face, and he goes, "That's definitely you," kind of thing, yeah. you know. And it's it's like these are scenes that become kind of famous. There's even a part in this one, Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines, where she's um, at the start of the movie, she's at the veterinary hospital, and she finds a blood pack on the floor that, and she she tests it with her tongue, apparently, yeah. which is a little whatever. It's a little uh, clunky of a plot device but she tests it and then she her somehow system says it's connor that that that's his blood and she gets almost like an orgasmic look on her face where she's yeah. like oh my god my primary mission it's within sight kind of thing and even though it's far-fetched i i love it i think it's kind of a cool little moment where it's like okay now now crap is real kind of thing 
you know. I agree. No, I actually agree. And again, I, so I, again, it's like it's not no no one in the cast is doing things that they're not supposed to do. Again, I think like Nick Stahl is actually quite good as a sort of a mopey John Connor. It sort of it feels it feels to type like you know, and mm. then he finally stands up. I'm happy with all that. It's just the sort of the piss poor storytelling and, stro- yeah, and sloppy yeah. direction that's been given. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I think the thing is, like we said, we've, we've said that this film builds to a finale. That's the point of this film. It's building to a point. And what, but what do you think of that third act, the finale? Um, you know, that, that's in the military bunker and the, well, the you military know, base. Yeah, it's. I think the third act is the strongest one for me. Um, and, you know, because there were a lot of misses throughout the movies, uh, setting up further things uh, about. Uh, and, and they were kind of explaining the future. That Arnold did more explaining in this one than some of the other ones, where he's saying this is what's going to happen. It's because uh, you know your kids will be important. So like slowly, information tidbits are being revealed to to fill in the gaps for John and Kate's uh, future really not backstory but like like future mm. and you know there's a part where he's like well your your kids will be important he's like what well she's not my type it's like this whole thing where it's like kind of explaining what's going to happen there's one thing leading into the third act where that I really like where he is explaining why Kate is in charge and John isn't because mm. it's uh, it's told that in 2032 a few years after 2029 is that he's actually the one to have killed John Yes, and that that's a moment that I think a lot of fans forget about. That I actually thought was a pretty compelling uh, story point, believe it or not. And why I like it is because now John is imbued with the knowledge that in thirty or so years, he basically will have to sacrifice his life to save his own and his wife's life back in yes. two thousand three. And that's a little story element that maybe could have been done a lot better. But he goes, "I killed you," and it's a moment where it's. I think they could have been done more with it where it's like, imagine if any one of us were told that we could save the world, but we know on this day we're going to die. And, and yeah. the person who's going to kill us is this ally 30 years from now. And then there's a moment later on that's actually gave me a little bit of chill where Arnie saves him at the very end of the movie and he says, thank you to the T-850. And he goes, mm. we'll meet again. Yes. And it was a little line. I was like, whoa, that's, a, that's pretty harsh. Wow. It's like... Maybe it's a throwaway line, but I, I was like pretty impressed by that. But for me, the third act is pretty is pretty powerful. Um, I mean, it's a lot of standard action stuff, but there's a sequence where Arnie gets um, possessed, for for lack of a better word. Yeah. His, uh, his body is is taken over by the nanobots, and the TX has kind of uh, made him corrupted. And yes, could that scene have been done better? 100%. But even in the trailers, I was compelled with the fact that you have this ally, you have this hero, suddenly he can't control his actions and he's now mm-hmm. as terrifying as he was in part one in some ways because now he can't be stopped. He can't be bargained with. He can't, you know, you can try. His brain's saying it's not right that he's doing this, but I really love the fact that he's damn close to killing John. And that's his mission. So it's yep. this struggle, internal struggle. And you know, in a lot of movies, you know, when it comes to people, we see people struggle with their opinions, but this is a, a visual... Uh, struggle in his mind you see terminate save terminate save mm. kind of thing and that i think was was pretty compelling and he eventually shuts himself down to do a reboot i guess he does control alt delete or something on his brain, so. <laughs> yes yeah. um, switch it off and back on again yeah right exactly <laughs> uh you know uh get the it crowd on that so um, yeah. but yeah so uh, it was uh that was pretty pretty good uh and then they get to the bunker and yes there's a sequence where tx is slowly walking towards them when she i'm sure she just could have run and killed kate and john been done with it right 
But and then Arnie couldn't come in and crush her with a giant uh, helicopter. You know, I mean, there there are some stuff that's a little silly in that. Mm. But I when it gets to that ending scene, I remember being on the edge of my seat in the cinema, and I was thinking. All right, they got to stop Judgment Day. This is how they're going to do it. I was fooled for some stupid mm. reason. I was I was thinking Skynet's base was really down there. There was uh, enough no, mach- I was right. the same. I was the same. I was Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know and probably some more savvy fans will go, "Well, obviously, it's a 40-year-old military installation that's for VIPs, you know, it's a fallout shelter." Um, but there's enough machinery around that it tricks the viewer into going, "Okay, this could be the the central core." Yeah. But when John explains Actually, it was in cyberspace. We can't shut it down. I, I love that element. Many fans hate it because it kind of plays loose with the mythology a little bit, you know. But I love that that story point where they're in the bunker. And uh, and <laughs> from one minute they go, well, listen, we could let the bomb go off and, and, and end it. And we could just die here because what are we going to do? About a minute later, they get the, the radio report that they mm-hmm. need help in a different military installation. And I love the fact that John and Kate at his side step up and become the leaders at that one moment. They said, who's in charge there? And he says, I am. And so he's the only one, and Kate now too, that knows what's happening out yes. of the entire world. And and that's for me, is a really compelling moment. And and that's why I like the ending. And then the music too, right? People don't talk about Marco Beltrami's score because it's not as good as Brad Fidel's, let's be honest. Mm. But that, that uh, scene has a song called Radio in it, and that's on the soundtrack. And it's a beautiful scene that's intercut with um, the dark, the darkness of the world ending. Basically, you have three billion lives ending. You see the the rockets go up, right? Yeah, and falling down, and it's like kind of chilling. And it's like, oh my god, it's what a gut punch. And I don't see that too often in movies nowadays. So that's why I give it a little bit of a pass, even though it's a flawed film from start to finish. I agree, though. I, I, I'm going to agree with that because I think the final, the, the third act is is really solid. I think it's one of those that's. Uh... <clears throat> it, it, it's clearly what they were building to, you know. But you're right. I mean, there's you know there's still moments that sort of I think you know, they shoehorn in some humour. But the action, I think I think the action is really really good. Right. I like to see the bits in the in the in the military base where you actually see they've actually had like the T one, you know, the sort of like mm-hmm. um, and yeah. you see, and you see that the early drones and which is very sort of you know obviously relevant to today. Um, and you see all these technologies and then and then like you say, I was fooled because you do think well actually if you were gonna hide. Mm. A supercomputer. That's actually a pretty good place. Like everyone thinks it's defunct. You know, it's debunked. It's, it's nothing there. It's empty. And you both, right. I was expecting those big doors to open, and you see like a huge unit or something, and nothing. Sure. Yeah. So I was fooled. And then for that ending, you're right. That to have that um, downbeat ending sort of take in, and then they're like, "Oh no, no, we are going to Judgment Day now." Like, that's that's great. Like, yeah. I'm all for that. And uh, considering the tone previous has been. You know, sort of in cases too humorous or awkward humor to end right. it with that, where you see uh, from space, like you see the the nuclear missiles like crisscrossing across the planet and the the you yeah. know the mushroom clouds going up. Like, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking to see that, and then you realize that it's obviously like like I say, Kate and uh, and John are in that bunker, and and that's the start of of that's Judgment Day. That's the start. You know, Skynet is right. taking over, and when it was just had, po- po- postponed, basically, yeah. it wasn't prevented. No, we're, and we're now on the path um, to to the first film. Really, the loop again has sort of like restarted in some way. So it's interesting. Um, it's just yeah, clunky is, is is a good word to use right. for this. Big big time. And, and you know, honestly, if if fans did not like this one, 
that's okay because it's likely being rewritten anyway. The future was not set for this movie. Yeah. And and when when Dark Fate comes out, it looks like they're circumventing any sequels that have come out since then. So it's yes. it's, its own we'll, thing. We'll, yeah. We will get so. to that. <laughs> yeah, because that's a sequel to two, isn't it? So that's just going to be straight. You know, they're doing the uh, the Halloween. They're doing the, the new thing. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just forget those. Don't ignore that stuff. Um. But yeah. <laughs> So that so yeah. Final thoughts on Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. I would say for many fans, it's not uh, a recommend for for most fans. Um, ironically, I think it's it's not a bad film for casual fans. Mm. But if you're like a sci-fi uh, hardcore sci-fi fan, you might go, okay, it's it's you know some of their sci-fi elements might not work as well as other films, especially ones that have come out since then. But uh, like for a casual crowd, people might like it. I, I think it made a good deal of money when it first came out, uh, but more of as a popcorn flick kind of a thing, you know. But um, for me as a as a fan, I appreciate this one, and I also acknowledge its problems. There are quite a few problems in this one, but I respect the director, uh, Mostow. I, I give him credit. It was not an easy task to step in after Terminator Two. Mm-hmm. He just he just can't, you know. And he's done some other movies that are pretty impressive. He did a movie called Surrogates a couple years back. Oh, uh, Bruce with, Willis, uh, one, yes. With, with Bruce Willis, he did that one. And you know, so I give him. Cre- he seems to be a very gracious director in his interviews. So I give him credit for that. And um, is it perfect? No way at all. It, it, and I wouldn't even suggest people to necessarily watch it if they're new to the series. <laughs> I'd say watch one, one and two. Yeah. But for me, for me as a fan, I appreciate the fact that they do end it in such a dramatic fashion. Uh, was really compelling for me. But I'd say fans could, if fans really wanted to, they could stop after part one. Like, truly, mm. you know? Mm. They'd be missing some cool stuff in the second one, but, you know, I'd say they could stop after part one. But, yeah, I, I'd say it's a mild recommend. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm very much with you. I think yeah, there's some there's some solid action in it. I think there's some good concepts and good ideas thrown right. in there that yeah. I think I wish were explored more. Um, sure. But uh, no, it's it's a it's a good no it's it's a relatively good early two thousands action sci fi action film. Um, right. It, you know, it, it, I think the problem is, as you say, it's following Terminator two, yeah. so it, it's one of those that sort of you know it's following something inc- one of the you know best as you said one of the, the best sequels ever made. Course, so yeah. it's it's a high bar to sort of to get over. Unfortunately. In some cases, I don't even think they tried, but it's yeah, right. It, it has its points. I think the ending's great. I think it was brave of them to go there. Um, would I recommend it? Yeah, they say it's a mild recommend in the sense of like it 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 fills out a trilogy is what it does. It takes you to it takes you to a point of judgment day, and I think that's that's a worthy point to be taken to. Right. Yeah, agreed. So, so that's Terminator 1, 2, and 3 we've talked about. We were going to talk about the comics, but we've been going on about the films for quite some time. So <laughs> I think we'll probably cover those in part two. We will get around yep. to those, because there's some interesting points in the comics as well. Yes. Um, but we shall draw this this part to a close, and we will get, we'll come back, and we will be talking about uh, Terminator uh, Salvation, uh, Terminator Genesis, and hopefully Terminator Dark Fate as well, and there's some of mm-hmm. the comics. So, Brian, thank you very much for coming on thank you I appreciate it very much no it's been great and uh, and uh, we should be doing part two soon awesome very cool well ladies and gentlemen there you have it another great 20th century geek episode thank you for listening 
If you would like to get in contact to suggest topics for future shows or just chat about everything nerdy, you can email me at 20thcenturygeek at gmail.com. That's 20thcenturygeek at gmail.com. Or find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just search for 20th Century Geek. If you would like to support the show, please go on your podcast catcher and leave a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. It raises the show in the ranks and lets more people know about the podcast. If you want to show more support for the podcast, we do have an Amazon wish list. Just go on Amazon and search for 20th Century Geek and you will find a list of books that will help with research for future podcasts. And don't forget, we love second-hand books in 20th Century Towers. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.